for not taking a fucking vaccine. This is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually playing with. They are, in a group they might come and fucking intimidate me and whatnot. But fuck, they do not understand what the fuck just one person like myself is capable of. They do not fucking understand. No fucking vaccine or MRA will ever flow through my fucking blood blood. Never! I will fucking die fucking fighting for my forefathers and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers. Yeah, 
Wow, welcome. Two streams in a day. Not nearly a day, it's the next day. But uh, I was going to say, the old doc was feeling uh, rested and uh, I haven't streamed much over the Christmas period. And uh, yeah, there's so much to catch up on. And uh, I think, uh, well, we had a very, very good uh, roundtable discussion earlier. Uh, I encourage everyone, when you've finished watching this, to go watch that if you haven't watched it already. Uh, a lot of in-depth uh discussion analysis um where we were where we're at where we're going uh, all of that came up even uh, ufos <laughs> in the end uh which uh, yeah finished on a finished on a light note so um what are we, what are we going to do today well so i want to just i'm trying to sort of stay abreast of ukraine and you can do that by analyzing endless video clips of war porn being dropped on telegram but i think it kind of better to just sort of take a bigger picture approach uh in some cases so we'll look at what i think are interesting mm, uh, displays actions directions uh the language used uh, on both sides and um yeah and from there, I think uh, I think I got some shahids lined up, and then finally, uh, Robert Malone has done a interview with uh, what's it called, the Chinese Falun Gong organization. What are they called? Uh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, he's done a um, an inter Epoch Times. He's done an, another recent interview, and again, um, he's using the language of hybrid warfare, psychological warfare, that's caught my interest in the last few weeks. And I'm, I think it important to stay abreast of what, what he's saying, because uh, for sure, <laughs> it's not, he's not coming up with all that by himself. And the, uh, hang on one second. And the, I believe that what he's what he's relaying can be useful from an analytics perspective. What he does say, what he doesn't say, what we can agree about, and you know, I think there's you know the five minutes that I listened to, there's some uh, data points uh, around his sort of previous actions, uh, uh, particularly the the testing for. Uh, alternative uh, medications, etc. Uh, the stuff he did with, uh, the, uh, in association with Callahan, and so the, um, so that's the structure for the stream. And uh, did I, did I want to touch on anything else? Probably everyone's just fed up of listening about <laughs> what's his name, Andrew Tate. <laughs> What a goof! Um, I, if that's the uh, if that's the role model that we're we're trying to combat uh, toxic feminism and uh, ideology with, <laughs> just we're screwed, man. And look, if I had to, um, I, I let's say I don't follow him, so I don't know much about him, and the rest I don't know. But what I did see and maybe people can confirm this or not, but if he's made his money 
um, pimping out am girls and uh, gambling. Uh, <laughs> in my mind, that's uh, that's just a degenerate. And you know, <laughs> there's a. Look, I'm not going to play the uh, moral puritan. There was a time in my life where uh, most of my brain power was concentrated between my legs, and uh, I don't know if that sort of temptation was uh, put in front of me, or I'd. I'd my energies into uh, how should we say putting girlfriends to work <laughs> that just never crossed my mind but um, you know, I've, I've felt bad if I had two girlfriends um, so I don't know I, cu I couldn't do what he does um, but apparently uh, all the young men love it uh, so let's let's dive in shall we so of course uh the boilerplate intro you've got to get used to it <laughs> well you know it so uh of course uh this is a, gonna be a long long focus we can't turn away from this it's bubbled to the surface uh covert moral bio enhancement and uh, that's that's essentially what encompasses the uh the nudge units that have been unleashed upon us without nobody asked for that um, if somebody decided that it would be good policy somewhere along the line and the <laughs> we're dealing with the consequences right now and remember that enhancement is in the eye of the beholder and if they get to degrade you and subjugate you then that's an enhancement for them so always uh, keep keep that in mind who knows says only just finish the round table and get the doc kev bonus hashtag winning yes that's what i like to hear um and yes the chat is uh um working on all things so what's that linamin says tate's brilliant i've listening in for years his serious interviews are full of gems like i say i i, I don't know the guy i've just seen it sort of blow up across my twitter feeds um and the when i sort of looked into it ah, it, it just it just felt a bit scummy to me um the the lifestyle and um you know i don't think it had a, a, anything to do with that uh, autistic uh greta chick but the uh, you know you you're dabbling in um you know morally ambiguous territory when you're uh <laughs> pimping out cam girls and probably you know romania and uh who knows what uh what was going on so um you know i would uh again i would just be uh circumspect in saying uh you know maybe there's some things that you can learn from but my advice would be uh god would frown upon you uh if you go down the uh pimping porno prostitution pathway so um pizza day <laughs> yeah that's funny bro <laughs> so the uh yeah let's uh let's move on so I have to show this one. This one, this meme just cracked me up yesterday. If you're from the UK, you'll probably know what it is that you're looking at there. <laughs> there was a, I don't know, main pain was just dropping, um, I don't know, tricycle motorbike hybrids. And then someone dropped this in and then added Fat Angie uh, to the 
this little electric vehicle. This 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 was spawned in the eighties. I was uh, a kid back then, and I can remember friends down the road got a Sinclair C five. Oh God, I was so jealous. I was so jealous. Thing is, it was just uh, forty years too early. <laughs> now, now I'm sure if you. Uh, Throw out something like this, you'll get all sorts of uh, venture capital thrown in. <laughs> and, uh, especially if you can put some VR gogs on there and you can tug one off to uh, cam girls like Fat Angie. <laughs> so, <laughs> this one, uh, it's biowarfare, stupid. Yes, get it in your head, biowarfare. Hey. I saw one of them in London, the C5. It, yeah, I mean, they used to be around, man. People had them. Uh, they, they like I say forty years too early, <laughs> and just they did sound a bit gay. Just <laughs> just washing machine motor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could probably get like five hundred meters down the road before uh the battery started running out. <laughs> so anyway, uh, by welfare, stupid. And uh, for those who wandered in here and wondering who I am, that's me. Dr. McCann, you can find me on the internet. I like ResearchGate, aggregates everything. Uh, metrics there for all to see. Oh, I realise I'm not on the screen. Hang on one second. That's a fallout from the uh, stream earlier. Let me see if I can fix that. Ding. Yay. Um, but you can go there. You can <laughs> pour yourself silly uh, with, uh, I don't know, orthodox neuroscience and be my guest. It's all free. And uh, the, what do I do now? I, I'm sort of, I don't know, the entertainment for the uh, the ragtag of scientists, which is growing daily, as uh, especially as Twitter has been um, unleashed uh, or, or set free for some. And the, well, you know, I, there's good things and bad things about that. My My concern is, is that, all those people that have been shut out will come back in and there's going to be a sort of, um, I don't know, revenge type. <laughs> I was, I was uh, full of revenge for the 12 hours I was on there um, when they let me back on, but they got rid of me real quick. <laughs> and you, the, my, my concern tactically or strategically is that there's going to be this hyper-focus on vaccine adverse events. Um, lots of I told you so. Lots of um, amplifying every single death. And look, I, I'm, I'm going to talk about it. But as I mentioned earlier, what I'm most concerned about is that by swarming onto that, we're going to miss the next event that they've got lined up for us and we're going to get uh, smacked in the face basically I think is what I said earlier as uh, as they manipulate the the information space and and the the quote, unquote, facts on the ground to uh, steal a uh, <laughs> a contentious phrase and the um, and so part of trying to keep on top of stuff uh, i think it's important that we look at the geopolitical events and i'm going to i'm trying to do my best around ukraine because i think that's one of those pivot points and the 
the, the how that develops will dictate, I think, the following events. Um, how quickly they're able to instantiate the sort of 15-minute city green tech fascism agenda versus uh, going away and licking wounds for uh, a couple of years. But yeah, that's that's just me. Maybe you uh, think different. Uh, where I'm open to discussion. And um, <laughs> what was that? I'm craving some fruity pebbles from the 80s. Those were the best. Well, I'm sure you can get them now. I've seen that there's all retro sweets on... Uh, on Google, so right, Doc. Do you follow George Webb? He believes the next event has begun in China. Um, yeah, I know George Webb. Um, I won't say uh, exceptionally well. I met him in uh, uh, not Austin. What was it? Oh, it's the other city, Commander Rixey. Where was that other city we stayed? Houston, Houston, and also Houston, I think. And um, yeah, I did a quick couple of minutes with uh george webb as a sort of i don't know little twitter um interview and look he, he hangs around with uh manlet cottrell and i'm uh, i cottrell makes my skin crawl with his um selling of silver and um overpriced vitamins um you know it's i i'm sort of of the opinion uh give give everything away or not give everything away you know present your data and i i think if people are appreciative then they will uh they will respond in kind and send donations and i i much prefer that than um essentially hunting um well in a lot of cases probably snake oil and the um and so he's close to George, and um, so, you know, I don't interact with him a great deal. But, you know, George and Adiads, I like Adiads, the young lad. Um, and he's done some interesting stuff, and um, he's, uh, you know, up-and-coming um, investigative reporter, I hope. And George Webb sort of taking him under his wing. If I had a, a criticism of George is... I think he tends to go beyond what the data would allow, right? I'm I tend to be more circumspect in um my conclusions, more uh precautionary principle. Um has the next event started in China? Look, I've got a whole bunch of tabs that I could have concentrated on about China and do and I've got you know, indirect contacts of people who are in China, you know, relatively high up, you know, they're not, uh, they're not the street sweepers. Um, it's a well-to-do family and it, the COVID is hitting hard there. Um, and it, in the family as well. And I want to, I want to say that there were, well, definitely hospital admissions, and I might, I want to say there might have even been a death in the family, but I'd have to go back and read. My memory's a, a little hazy about that. But uh, point being that we're seeing uh, the, the, you know, a lot of the signals that we were seeing three years ago, which is the 
CT scans are showing that there is uh, a pneumonia of, of sorts occurring in many, many patients. Um, the hospitals are looking overcrowded. Um, again, I would, I would just be very, very cautious about reading too much into it. Now, you know, Xi, Xi, Xi Jinping did a uh, address to the nation, and in, in you know, I don't spend all my <laughs> waking hours looking into Chinese affairs, but um, you know, I pay peripheral attention. I don't think I've ever seen him give that sort of talk directly to the camera, to the country, we're going through some difficult times, we'll get through this, etc. You know, a pep, a pep talk, basically. And so I'm, I'm of the opinion that something is going on. But I would say this, you, to understand what's happening in Asia, you can't look at any numerical data coming out of China. It's always going to be messed with. So you look at Japan, you look at Korea, South Korea, uh, what else? Uh, Taiwan, I don't know, uh, Thailand maybe, um, I don't know about Vietnam, etc. Maybe getting a bit, uh, a bit close to third world. Uh, but the what are we, what are we seeing in Japan? Cases have gone up, and it's their eighth wave at the moment and in the la the last time i checked on that day they'd had more covid deaths than at any other time so like 400 deaths in one day and japan doesn't have the comorbid burden that the west has you don't see fat is here the young uh, 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 the old are active um they're they just look significantly healthier, but there is an issue. So I will I will extrapolate from that and say there's probably an issue in China right now. Them flying out for celebrations, etc. Well, you're probably gonna precipitate another wave. Um, you know, there's uh, and what I see is classic viral dynamics, right? The a pathogen is spreading, and I don't think I don't think that you know there's squads going round misting it out of a van or something. I I I, I don't. Um, we had the discussion earlier about uh, vaping and uh, you know um, channels for directing attack, and for sure I think that those are all options on the table particularly if the hypothesis is true that we're in this uh, hotter phases of this uh, unrestricted warfare, um, then, you know, again, <laughs> be very careful. And, you know, it was, it's an interesting data point, right, that Nathan Wolf was a scientific advisor at Juul. Hmm? Robert Malone as well, apparently. Now, again, I, I, I want to... Look, Nathan Wolfe is trash, as far as I'm concerned. Anyone anyone who's squeezing Gisley Maxwell's ass in photos and acknowledging Epstein and the other ne'er-do-well, I remember which goddamn telegram, always putting um, 
beeps at me. Why? Why, why, why? I'm sure I have everything muted. And I don't see any, <laughs> any alert in there. So, no, it's muted. Can I just, give me a second just to close Telegram. Stupid thing. Quit Telegram. Um, where was I? So, yeah, the... <laughs> This ain't your grandpappy's war anymore. It's that simple. And, you know, the idea that civilian populations are not a strategic target is uh, a null hypothesis because we know that that's a... It's the aim of uh, warfare. Degrade the, degrade the population such that you, you can assert your will on them. And, you know, part of that is psychological operations, etc. All right. So let me move on. Of course, housekeeping. Please, please, please. Uh, I've got to, I've got to feed the crew. Everything today is for uh, tax evading blicks and uh, my other back end, uh, Chris, any donos. Um, <laughs> they'll go to them today. So please, please, please be generous. And uh, let me uh, let me make sure that they can keep the lights on and uh, the Mackie D's flowing in. All right. So the let's see. I've done uh, that. So, yeah, you can find contacts, everything. Patreon, uh, the tip jar. Tip jar will take Apple Pay, uh, Google Pay, etc. Um, the QR code in the bottom. You just flash your phone at that. It should do the business apparently i don't know i haven't tried it uh buy me a coffee subscribe to star cryptocurrencies uh join the discord chat please uh you're more than welcome to hop in uh to uh ah, it's a fun place to be i hang out there all day and you can uh interact with uh, a lot of people including me because i'm not sat here i'm sat in front of uh, another screen just uh watching the information come in of course register to be notified click that if you want an email link you can unsubscribe at any time i will not share your data um so yes that's housekeeping done uh remind you that uh, much of the funding goes to the fact we try to keep as independent as possible we have our own streaming platform wtyl.live if you want to stream or upload stuff on there uh you you, you can join with a discord um login uh if you have one it's dead easy and uh you can start uploading if it if you have problems uploading uh send me an email uh, or DM me in Discord and you can upload stuff. Please use it. If we don't use it and archive stuff on it, it'll go away, right? And we have to we have to make this stuff grow. So uh, Jesus says, as soon as I get a job again, I will become a Patreon. Well, if that's you, Jesus, just, uh, just a blessing. A blessing for uh, good health. <laughs> That'll do me if you're the real Jesus. I am afflicted by a bold spot. Um, so, uh, let's see. So, yeah, let's get into the uh, meat and potatoes of what I want to go into. And uh, Lindsey Graham. <laughs> Lindsey Graham. Listen to this fucking scumbag. Now, again, I, th this is recent on Twitter. Maybe this is an old clip. But this is the mentality that we're dealing with. I like 
the structural path we're on here. As long as we help Ukraine with the weapons they need and the economic support, they will fight to the last person. I like the structural path we're on here. As long as we help Ukraine with the weapons they need and the economic support, they will fight to the last person. They will fight to the last Ukrainian. Fucking gross. <laughs> Whilst uh, we're uh, money laundering all these tax dollars that we're sucking out of the US economy. Screw having secure borders. Screw having safety nets for the people that are dropping into the poverty trap because the economies are so fucked because we've gone to war essentially with Russia that they're, they're tacitly admitting it here. And who pops up his head who pops up his head to uh give his opinion hold ollie north yes ollie north is going to tell us put us in our place about uh what we should be thinking about this uh proxy war against russia uh, probably one of the most dangerous moves um in modern history and uh ran contra ollie north is going to tell us how it is is that money well spent? The president's assuring it. No, no, it's not well spent. Um, how about a bit more for uh, the, you know people on the VA pensions? How about impro improving the VA system? How about looking after veterans that got pulled into uh, all the other uh, wars for uh, I say special interest groups? We know who they are. Yes, that he's going to deal with it responsibly. But $110 billion, uh, American people aren't seeing that kind of money. It's coming out of their pockets. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Well, it's coming out of all of our pockets, but it's money. <laughs> you think Ollie North uh, is uh, paying all, he, all his dues to the IRS? He's not got some, uh, how should we say, uh, creative accounting going on? These bastards with that. Uh, oh, God, we're all in it together. We're all, we're all shouldering the burden. Lindsey Graham saying, oh, yeah, we'll fight. We'll fight to the last Ukrainian. <laughs> when he's not putting any fucking skin in the game, just making his skin get fatter <laughs> on the profits that he's creaming off. Money well spent. I, in my humble opinion, this is very much like what Ronald Reagan did back in the 80s. And I do have some experience with that. I know that makes... I have to laugh. There's this picture going around uh, on social media where uh, <laughs> Zelensky's there in front of Congress in his uh, uh, costume, basically, his uh, his war costume. And then there's, a, you know, maybe it's an older picture, but it's juxtaposed with him speaking to Klaus Schwab. Ah, he's shirt and tied and uh, looking ready for business. And it's it's uh, it's all theatrics this is all part of the psychological warfare that they're that they're using to <laughs> strip you of your riches of your of your birthright i would say not only america but uh, certainly britain as well and certainly uh, many other european countries um and you know <laughs> you think any of these bastards are feeling cold right now you think they're worried about their thermostat? 
You think they're complying to the ESG laws about how you can only have it at uh, 26 degrees Celsius anymore and you're breaking the law? No, these fuckers have got underground floor heating, big log fires, <laughs> even, pe- even peons to throw the logs on for them. And, and, and here they are. They've got the gall, the gall to tell you that you've got to cough up more. More so you can send young men into what is essentially First World War redux. Makes me a lot older than most of our viewers, but in fact, he, was, he believed in supporting freedom fighters. He did it in Latin America, he did it in Angola, Guinea Bissau, Mozambique, he did it in Afghanistan. <laughs> all, all, uh, they all worked out real well, didn't it? All those countries, stellar examples of uh, civilization building. What the fuck? Those people were willing, as the Ukrainian people are, to use their blood and our bullets. And by the way, most of that hundred... Um, again, I think there's been some talking points uh, <laughs> disseminated in the uh, upper echelons, both of the Democratic and the uh, Republican Party. Um, they're like hogs at the trough. Ten billion total. They'll use their blood and our bullets. What a sick motherfucker. In the 45, the 1.7, and the previous 65, over one point, over 110 billion, is spent here in the United States. It's provided to contractors and defense logisticians and the kinds of people who build... Had, uh, look, man, you arguing for, uh, yeah, we're building up the military-industrial complex even more. Uh, it's not an argument that sits well with me. I'm sorry. <laughs> it don't. I'm, 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 not sh- I'm not sure what benefit this is to the American people. And I'd say, this is, I'm not dissing um, American military, uh, the men and the women who, who serve. What I'm disgusted at is... is these leeches at the top who are, I would say they're taking orders from, you know, higher up, uh, whatever, entities that are determined to reshape the world in their image. Uh, it doesn't matter the cost. Build the kinds of systems that we're getting. So most of that money is spent here in America. Good hard work. Uh, Eudora, why are my comments says why are my comments suddenly being modded? If you're using um, Twitch, has a hard filter for I don't know all sorts of words. I'm not modding. Um, I don't. I barely look at Twitch as a platform. Just if you're swearing, um, it might um, it might censor that. Um, but yeah, swear. Yeah, if you're cussing. Uh, Twitch will take it out. Twitch is for kids. <laughs> it's a gaming platform for kids. What are you doing? Working Americans have the jobs. And when you look at that kind of an investment, what would be the difference if when the giant does awake, and that's all, that's all about communist China, it's just not a plug for this book. The idea of it is to make sure that they get the right message and to make sure that Putin gets the right message. No more invasions. And that means... <laughs> The, the audacity of the upper classes of the United States saying no more invasions. <laughs> what? Look, man, what they think we're stupid. We, <laughs> we can't remember 10 years back, 20 years back. 
Just what the... <laughs> Nick in the chat. Potty mouth, toffee nose, upper class twit of the year. Indeed. Um, just, uh, can't tee up the next enemy for their forever wars. Yeah, and it, it, it is forever war. That's their economic model. That's their strategic model. The, the Wolfowitz neocon doctrine. And, you know... <laughs> I'm, I'm tired of it. And, you know, at, at least with Trump, there were no invasions going on. Did a slight bit of bombing, I guess, <laughs> just to just to try to satiate the uh, the piranhas and warhawks in his turn. But, you know, that in, in my life, literally, you know, I can remember very clearly the first Gulf War starting, watching that on TV and being amazed that they were showing video from bombs flying in windows, etc. And um, I don't I don't remember many years without armed conflict, serious sanctions that have devastated countries, because, again, it's not the it's not the leadership that takes the hit. It's the people of the country, the dead children, <laughs> the devastated families that feeds a vicious cycle. And look, man, I I'll put my hands up. I was I'm as guilty as anyone, especially especially after 9/11. Like I said, I've reiterated this many many a time. I had a right rage bone, not not just because of 9/11, because of where where I grew up, right? Just Hamilton Ackes and Muslims were just uh, high up on my uh, should we say my shit list, right? And, uh, yeah, watching uh, watching Abdul get kicking was uh, how should I say? I took a certain glee in it. But as I've grown older and wiser, I realised I was being played. I was being played, and the uh, <laughs> didn't it didn't solve it didn't solve the well. <laughs> what do you call it? The essentially population replacement migration coming in from those lands. And look, man, I've, I've got nothing personal against them, right? I just, just fucking stay over where you come from. <laughs> and if the if the US is bombing the shit out of your country, just get out of the way and come back and build when they've uh, when they've sucked whatever it is the country dry for whatever whatever reason that they're there. But you know this this what they're talking about. It involves mass migration of individuals into Europe, and Europe is buckling under the strain of this. And um, what's happening in Ukraine will just compound the problems even more. Means the people in Taiwan are going to need the same kinds of weapon systems that we're now providing to the Ukrainians. Ah! Yeah, you can have a couple of high miles and a Patriot battery. <laughs> I'm sure the Ching Chongs are trembling. And look, the Chinese don't need to take Taiwan by force. If you look at the, the voting patterns, it's already on a razor's edge as to the parties that will get in. And, you know, this is why you're seeing the, the moves to build uh, next generation chip fabrication plants, uh, not just in the US, Europe as well. They're expanding their operations. It's... Um, but this constant 
beating of the drum for war when, like I say, the, the benefit to the, the, <laughs> the working class is zero. That's it. Oh, we watched it all. Anyway, uh, Ollie North telling you that uh, they'll use their blood with our bullets. Asshole. All right, so moving on from that, let's get to uh, Britain. Oh, no, no. Nah, one more. So, oh, it's an older uh, pub publication, but I guess it kind of fits in here. Now, Army suggests food stamps for soldiers battling inflation. Does it have a does it have a story with it? Oh, it won't let me add blocker, I guess. Won't let me. Yeah, it's just normal Fox News. Um I can't scroll through that, but the headline tells you everything. So hundreds of billions of dollars are being laundered through Ukraine. Uh the political class are getting fat on the profits, whilst the the men that have to go and do and the women I guess that have to go and do the actual fighting and the grunt work are being told to go and get fucking food stamps. <laughs> and pe people still keep falling for it. Ah, uh, let's see. Nick says Stanley Johnson pushing a vote for global depopulation policy in Parliament. What is this? Uh, did you know your life is part of an epidemic? Some yes, yes, yes. Um, who am I looking at? This is historical, is it? Okay. Uh, I thought we had something recent. But thank you for the link, Nick. Um, if people want to put links in the chat for me to look at, please do. Um, so next, uh, Britain. What's Britain up to? Uh, Britain takes position as second biggest donor to war-ridden Ukraine as it delivers more counter-explosives. The UK has given more than 1,000 high-tech metal detectors and 100 bomb disarming kits to Ukraine in a bid to help President Zelensky's troops clear minefields. Europe is the world's second biggest donor to Ukraine behind the US and was the first country in Europe to send aid. Um, it was the first country to scupper peace deals early on in the conflict when maybe we would have been able to extricate ourselves from this mess. Uh, oh God, since Putin invaded Ukraine in February, the RAF has flown more than 240 flights to move tons of military aid. Britain has provided more than 1,000 air anti-air missiles and 125 anti-aircraft guns to help Ukraine defend against Russian strikes on cities and infrastructure. And the armed forces have also trained thousands of personnel from the armed forces of Ukraine. In my mind, Britain now is, is an active participant of this war, as is the US. And now I think I think Russia's showing a lot of restraint at the moment. Um you know I guess that's only gentlemanly, right? Let them let them get onto the uh, designated battlefield before you uh hit them with calibers and whatever else they've got up their sleeves. Toshka, is that what they're called? Uh, meanwhile, at sea, the UK has donated maritime brimstone missiles and autonomous underwater mine hunting vehicles to keep waters safe for shipping. Uh, Defence Secretary Right Honourable Ben Wallace MP said, I'm gorging on it. Look at me. Right, fuck yeah. Russia's use of landmines and targeting of civilian infrastructure underline the shocking cruelty of Putin's invasion. 
<laughs> Never mind the fact that we go in and uh, crush infrastructure <laughs> in the first wave. <laughs> There's uh, all those uh, Tomahawk cruise missiles. <laughs> At least Russia kept the electric on for a year. <laughs> that didn't happen in Iraq. <laughs> Boom. They took that power out straight away. And the water sent them back centuries. This latest package of UK support will help Ukraine safely clear land and buildings as it reclaims its rightful territory. Ah, I beg to differ about that. Uh, that reclaim part. The UK has been the most generous European country, offering 2.3 billion of aid. The amount will be matched again next year. As again, right now in the UK, people have seen their bills triple, quadruple for the winter. And it's, it's and this is this is how sick it is the the price of uh gas even though it went up at the beginning of the conflict has settled right back down but the energy companies in the uk ramped up their prices and they have they haven't uh they haven't responded in real time no they'll they'll keep they'll keep those t those high prices it just helps the share price right it's the uh it's the randy and uh virtuous thing to do make profit in these instances uh let's see i blame the pure bloods um uh john says taiwan is a beautiful country i've done some extensive hiking in some part of the country truly beautiful um yeah look uh let's hope it remains beautiful <laughs> and not some and not some um meat grinder forefront for the next couple of years as i don't know we feel that we need to uh impress upon china that we're um they're not they're not playing to our rules and you know we've seen again i think the what we found out about the minsk agreements in the last weeks how the west was just had no intention of um implementing or complying with them etc this was all part of their build up of nato in ukraine and they were they were looking to build up forces to try to take back crimea and you know this is um well it's it's disturbing because look, I I came from an age when this was a reality, okay? That we had uh, Perestroika and Glasnost and uh, Gorbachev met with Reagan and uh, they they agreed they agreed to dismantle the uh, the Soviet Union. And, you know, there's a memorandum of uh, conversation, I guess. I guess they should have got understanding written on there. Secretary of State James Baker. We understand the need for assurances to the countries in the East. If we maintain a presence in a Germany that is a part of NATO, there would be no extension of NATO's jurisdiction for forces of NATO one inch to the East. And, again... Russia believed them and now look where we are uh, they've literally forced Russia's hand in this uh, again I, I don't want to uh, in these sort of binary conflicts right I don't want to be sort of seen to be going down just on one side but it's very very hard for me to look at western actions and say that they're engaging in a just war. 
let's see. Um, so, you know, just to uh, rub salt in the wound. It was uh, New Year, Britain. You know, that's a fireworks display for New Year. This was their this was their firework display for New Year. Again, fucking agitprop, sigh up in your face. This is not nudge. This is this is being grabbed by the scruff of the neck and being dragged to what these uh, government private corporations want their goals. And so Britain was uh, well. I, should, I guess I guess I should be thankful that there was no uh, rainbow displays. But yeah, full on, full on Ukraine themed end of year firework display. And I guess that part of the two point three billion. For explosives, I guess. Gonna play. Come on. Is it gone? to open its hearts and homes to Ukrainian refugees. Do they? Do they? Do those, do those, my, <laughs> my kids and kin who are struggling to pay fucking electric and gas bills want to open their homes to Ukrainians? Really? <laughs> I haven't heard anything like that when I've spoke to them. Who knows? Yeah, there, there was probably rainbow faggot colours as well <laughs> shoved down Britain's throat just just to make sure that they know who's in control. London stands with all those around the world. Yeah, almost sounded like Londoni stand. Pretty spot on. How based? Displaced by conflict, strife, and the climate crisis. Fuck them. Fuck them. Fuck them and their forever wars. And then, uh, again, assaulting, attacking the minds and the consciousness of, of the people unnecessarily. There was no need for any of this. And then, <laughs> to cap up the diversity, we have uh, <laughs> Sunak. Sunak. The WEF toady, he's gonna he's gonna give it a bit of Churchill chin up speech. This is and let me tell you, it's nothing like that. This is this is weak, faggot ass, woke bollocks that's that that is the face of Britain right now. And this this is this is supposed to inspire the nation at a time of war. Do me a favour. Hi everyone. Oh, hi everyone. Hi. What the fuck? You could you could just see the focus groups about oh god you know how should we uh, be presenting this yeah just a casual casual hi. You just you just wanna you just one of the plebs, aren't you? 
just on their level. Had a happy Christmas. Before we enter the new year. Bet he doesn't even celebrate Christmas. Fucking curry chomper. Yeah, I want to take a moment to reflect. 2022 was tough. Just as we recovered from an unprecedented global pandemic, Russia launched a barbaric and illegal invasion across. Yeah, no mention of the eight years prior to that. No mention of the <laughs> loading Ukraine up with uh, NATO and especially British trained uh, troops and mercenaries. No mention of that, eh? Hi. Oh, God, those nasty Ruskies. Across Ukraine. This has had a profound economic impact around the world, which the UK is not immune to. Now, I know many of you have felt that impact at home. That's why this government has taken difficult but fair decisions. Whilst I am surrounded by elegant lighting, it's all switched on. We don't care. The big fireplace behind me, and uh, yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not here in multiple layers, <laughs> eating a can of cold fucking beans. <laughs> to get borrowing and debt under control, and it's because of those decisions that we've been able to help the most vulnerable with the rising cost of energy bills. There's a clip of him, you know, serving at a food bank for, like, the homeless, and he just dimly asks a homeless dude, What's, what are your plans? And uh, he's, he's like, I just, I just want to get through the night. And he's like, oh, you ever thought getting into finance? Fucking idiot. So detached from reality. Three months ago, I... Does he have US citizenship? Wouldn't surprise me. They've all got multiple passports, all that level. Scumbag. Stood at the steps of Downing Street and promised I would work relentlessly on the things that matter most to you. Since then, this government has taken decisive action to back our NHS with record resources to tackle the backlogs. More funding, more doctors, and more nurses. We're also tackling illegal migration. And God damn it. They're just... Uh, uh, it's complete lies. Fabrication. They're coming over in droves. Little rubber dinghies lining up. Lining up on the beaches of Dunkirk. <laughs> Invading Britain. Rubber dinghy by rubber dinghy. Stopping criminals from abusing our asylum system. Now, I'm not going to pretend that all our problems will go away in the new year. But 2023 will give us an opportunity to showcase the very best of Britain on the world stage. <laughs> Rainbow coloured police cars. Swarms. Swarms of uh, North Africans. Shouting Allah Akbar with me. Where is it? Continuing to stand with our Ukrainian friends against Putin's brutality and defending freedom and democracy wherever we find it under threat. These fucking vapid words that <laughs> so infuriating. Like like they care about freedom and democracy.
Now, it's it's all about carving up for resources. And again, this shuffling for, uh, I, I don't know, you know, we had this discussion earlier that there, there are competing groups and, you know, they're, they're looking to extend their, um, their reach with respect to resources, finance, uh, anything and everything to give themselves an edge. And if that means uh, fighting to the last Ukrainian, they will. And I'm pretty sure that uh, if things don't go their way, um, at least there'll be a very tense standoff with, on the borders of Poland and Germany um, between Ukraine and Russia. And, you know, that will suck in billions of dollars again. <laughs> all from, all from uh, the working Joe, the working stiff that's got to go out there and see fucking 50% of his salary just sucked into an endless tax cycle of spending for defence and their fucking cronies. In this historic year of His Majesty the King's coronation, we will come together with pride in everything that makes this country great. Yes, 2023 will have its challenges, but the government I lead is putting your priorities first. I wish... Look, he's a, he's a full-on WEF toady. He is a goddamn puppet for the globalists. Britain has fallen. It fell 40 years ago. It's just, it's in its death throes at the moment. That's in pieces. Great news, I've just switched careers to the financial industry. All is well. <laughs> isn't, isn't that Andrew Tate thing? Can't you, can't, can't you make up some uh, <laughs> shit altcoin? <laughs> some exchange with uh, cam girls as collateral. <laughs> but anyway, you had that uh, <laughs> display of rancid faggotry on display. That's, that's your leader, Britain. <laughs> that's, that's what woke ideology got you <laughs> you should have voted for nick griffin when you had the chance right and uh, yeah i did i did the uh document saying no move to the east now let's listen to uh vlad papi putin's speech now it's it's a little longer nine nine minutes but it's i i think it's of historic importance that we listen to this and i would say listen to the difference in the language that that they're using and again I, there'll be much lost in translation um but Putin's language is very much orientated to the idea of saving national sovereignty from what and i would be remiss to say that I'm, I'm in agreement with him when he's talking about these global predators that want to carve up Eurasia, Africa. Now, I don't, like I say, there's complex politics, and I've seen people say, oh, God, look, he hangs around with Jews. Maybe. But you know what else he did? All those Jewish oligarchs? He arrested bunch of, bunches of them and kicked a whole bunch out of the country. Um... I, I'm I'm not so sure that he's um, having his strings pulled by the 
by Benjamin Netanyahu. <laughs> I ain't so sure about that. To me, this sounds this sounds like a leader who realizes he's in an existential struggle. In in, in an existential struggle against global homo corporatism that wants to come and subjugate their culture and their nation. My fellow Russians and dear friends, 2022 is drawing to a close. It was a year of tough but necessary decisions, critical steps towards achieving Russia's full sovereignty and a vital consolidation of our society. This year has revealed the true nature of many things. It has shown the difference between courage and bravery on one hand and treachery and cowardice on the other, which shows that there's nothing greater than love for our families and relatives, loyalty to our friends and brothers-in-arms, and devotion to our homeland. This was a year of pivotal and fateful events that set the foundation of our common future and our true independence. This is what we are fighting for today. We are protecting our people in our historic lands, new constituent territories of the Russian Federation we are building and creating together. The fate of Russia is above all. Our sacred duty to our ancestors and generations to come is to protect our homeland. We are right, morally and historically. The outgoing year has brought significant change to Russia and the whole world. Even though it was full of worries and anxiety, our multi-ethnic country has demonstrated its courage and dignity, as it always has during times of trouble for Russia. They have supported in word and deed the defenders of our homeland, our soldiers, officers, and all others engaged in the special military operation. We have always known, and it's confirmed today, that a sovereign, independent, and safe future for Russia depends on us and no one else, on our strength and our will. For years, the Western elites hypocritically assured us all that their intentions were peaceful, including attempts to address an incredibly complicated crisis in the Donbass. In reality, however, they promoted neo-Nazis who continued to wage war. Not lying. <laughs> I just showed you the document from uh, the 89. No, we won't move an inch further east. War and carry out terrorist attacks. Who knows? Says Vlad, looking pretty chipper for someone that died of cancer multiple times. Yeah, the the park is riddled, riddled with it. And Parkinson's and arthritis, and uh, that man is switched on. I wish I had just the subtitled version, and you could hear him speaking. The man doing the translation is annoying to me, but um, you you can see, well, just compare and contrast Sunak versus Putin. And, you know, there's there's a lot of unpredictability in the system right now. And, you know, there's probably good odds that Russia doesn't like the way that the globalist movement is arranging itself. And what do they see? They see that we're just fucking hedonistic degenerates. against civilians in the People's Republic of the Donbass. 
The West lied about peace while preparing for aggression. Today, it acknowledges this openly and is not ashamed of it. They cynically exploit Ukraine and its people to divide. <laughs> They'll fight to the last man with our bullets. <laughs> that's, liter that's literally the, the talking point that was disseminated for the week so they could get out on whatever it was, MSNBC. <laughs> mainstream channels again i'm having i'm having to sit here trying to sort of you know be objective vlad is calling it out pretty accurately sorry maybe that upsets people but that's that's what i'm seeing here maybe it's all kabuki wank off theater maybe but um I, I i think that i'm seeing bodies and war and destruction taking place in ukraine uh, that's something that's something that human beings are brilliant at devolving into into warfare for personal gain for reptiles like Lindsey Graham and the Biden crime syndicate or whatever other fucking demons work behind them. And weaken Russia. We will not allow this to happen. We never did and we never will. Russian soldiers, militia, and volunteers are fighting for our homeland, for truth and justice, to ensure peace and security for Russia. All of them are heroes to us. Their burden is the heaviest today. With all of my heart, I wish a happy new year to all participants of the special military operation. To everybody, those who are here with me, those on the front lines and adjacent territories, those in the training centers getting ready to join the fight, those in hospitals, those who are home after a tour of duty, those on combat duty in strategic units, and all the personnel of the Russian armed forces. Comrades, thank you for your service. Our entire great nation is proud of your will, resilience, and courage. The hearts and minds of millions are with you. Tonight, people will be raising their glasses to you. I extend my gratitude to all those who provide combat support, drivers and railway workers, doctors, paramedics oh, and nurses. Speech without dubbing. Nice. Uh, thank you, uh, Alberto. Let's just uh, bring that up. Oh, we've even got nice intro. Thank you. I think we're about here, right? Four minutes in. Полнив свой долг, уже вернулся домой. Всех, кто несет боевое дежурство в стратегических подразделениях, весь личный состав вооруженных сил. Дорогие товарищи, благодарю вас за доблестную службу. Вся наша огромная страна гордится вашей силой духа, стойкостью и отвагой. Миллионы людей душой и сердцем с вами и за новогодним столом обязательно будут звучать тосты в вашу честь. Огромное спасибо всем, кто обеспечивает военные действия, водителям и железнодорожникам, которые снабжают фронт, врачам, фельдшерам, медсестрам и медбратьям, которые борются за жизни солдат, выхаживают раненых мирных жителей. Благодарю работников и инженеров 
наших военных и других заводов, которые трудятся сегодня с полной отдачей, строителей, которые возводят гражданские объекты и оборонительные укрепления, помогают восстанавливать разрушенные города и села Донбасса и Новороссии. Дорогие друзья, Trudeau 53 says Putin is very practiced as former KGB. He sent thousands to the slaughter in Ukraine. I believe nothing he says. He does not value human life. What? As as opposed to uh, the NATO commanders uh, and politicians who were waging war, low intensity civil war for eight years, had no intention of agreeing to Minsk agreements. Russians Russians were prepared for peace talks in Turkey till. Boris Johnson turned up and scuppered it. I, I, I don't see Russians being the uh, war hawks in this particular situation. And you, you, you want to know what I see when I'm looking at, <laughs> looking at this dude talk? It's someone who's describing very, very eloquently that their country is under existential threat right now. And they've been pushed for decades. They didn't they didn't want in my opinion, every country that borders, especially especially through Europe, should be a demilitarized zone. And and I don't know, you, you make the no taxes there and you and <laughs> kind of invite trade or something. But no, some somehow we've dragged ourselves back a hundred years and we're thinking that uh sending out gunboats uh, <laughs> is the solution to this. And why why are they doing that? Well, it, it's making money for a, a very particular group and, and achieving certain strategic and I would add eschatological goals for people who are in control. <laughs> the more moral thing is the Ukrainians will fight to the last man without bullets. И 2014 года после крымских событий Россия живет в условиях санкций. Но в этом году нам была объявлена настоящая санкционная война. Те, кто ее затеял, ожидали полного разрушения нашей промышленности. But you know what? As soon, as soon as I saw them gunning down POWs and glorifying it in TikTok videos, I was, this was Ukrainians shooting Russian POWs, and it wasn't just one odd uh, video. It was happening all the time. We had that clip from the guy who was running the Mozart unit basically saying that the, the, the Ukrainians were constantly breaching Geneva Conventions. Now, you know, I've seen the odd video of Russian troops breaking those laws as well. But if I was to stack them up, it's, it's, the, it's the Ukrainians who are, well, you know, we have, these, we have those rules for a reason. And they've been worked out over centuries with respect to how, how we conduct warfare. <laughs> to just, just try and constrain our most base elements. And I don't I, I see Russia caring more about the outcome of what happens in Ukraine than any of the NATO 
countries and particularly neocon war hawks in the US. Dead on both sides. Dead on both sides. It, it is a catastrophe for Europe. But again, you know, it's a... Well, press the button, but, you know, you've got sick fucks like that Newland salivating over um, the piece of the pie that they're going to get out of Ukraine and the conflict there. And let's let's not forget, okay, it was the US that had riddled Russia's southern border with biowarfare laboratories. And this is a well, just that fact alone is enough in my mind for them for them to try to dismantle the, the that infrastructure just that alone but then on top of that you've got the uh you know the sending in of mercenaries the armaments the training of the ukrainians um <laughs> filling their heads with uh <laughs> woke, woke bollocks their their president Look, you've just you've got a Jewish oligarch state running Ukraine that's as corrupt as I don't know Kinshasa and, and, and any of the worst hellholes that you can think of in this country. Ukraine was a hotspot for people trafficking. It was a hotspot for clandestine biowarfare projects. NATO was moving aggressively up to Russia's borders. What do you expect them to do? What, just roll over? <laughs> you think America would just roll over were the situation reversed? Делаем все возможное, чтобы помочь семьям наших погибших товарищей поднять детей, дать им достойное образование, получить профессию. 
Всем сердцем разделяю вашу боль и прошу принять искренние слова поддержки. Дорогие друзья, в любые времена, даже очень тяжелые, в нашей стране отмечали наступление Нового года. Он был и остается для всех любимым праздником. И обладает волшебным даром раскрывать в людях самые лучшие черты, умножать значимость традиционных семейных ценностей, энергию великодушия, щедрости и доверия. Встречая Новый год, все стремятся порадовать близких, согреть их вниманием и душевным теплом, подарить то, о чем они мечтали, увидеть восторг в глазах детей, почувствовать, как трогательно, благодарно за наше внимание родители, старшее поколение. Они умеют ценить эти зорницы счастья. Друзья, сейчас самый подходящий момент, чтобы оставить в прошлом все личные обиды и недоразумения. Сказать самым дорогим людям о своих нежных чувствах, о любви, о том, как важно заботиться друг о друге. Всегда, в любое время. Пусть эти сердечные слова и благородные чувства придадут всем нам как можно больше душевных сил, уверенности, что вместе мы преодолеем все трудности и сохраним нашу страну великой и независимой. Будем идти только вперед, побеждать ради своих семей и ради России, ради будущего нашей единственной, любимой Родины. С Новым годом, дорогие друзья! С Новым 2023 годом! Hi. <laughs> Just compare and contrast. And, you know, like I said, this, in, in my mind, this war is a tragedy on, on so many levels. But I, I, I don't think that uh, Russia went into it in a... Or, or were itching to pull the trigger on this. That they'd been incredibly patient with the machinations of the west where we just we found out i already said it a few weeks ago that, that they had no intention of following the minsk agreements so what what that means is is that russia doesn't have a um a, a partner or, or, or a peer that they can engage in negotiations with <laughs> nato went and blew up the Nord Stream pipeline well, the UK did. <laughs> Just how are they supposed to react under these circumstances? And from my perspective, I think Russia has been pretty restrained. Now, I'm not not an expert on war by any any metric, but I would I would add my everyone's got opinion like an arsehole. Right? We've all got assholes and we've all got opinions. If Russia is unable in these winter months, with the treat build-up that it has, to be able to finish this conflict in, in a quick and orderly fashion, I think it has the potential to drag out and escalate to something that will impact everyone. And it's the neocon war hawks who want the chaos it's the it's the globalists that want the chaos
Russia miscalculated Ukrainian defenses as well as world opinion. No, I, th I think they they tried to go in with a very a show of force, hoping that there would be a um, easy easy victory. So it was a small f expeditionary force of a hundred thousand, maybe a little bit more, and they were. Um, very very conscious of infrastructure they didn't do what the americans do which is <laughs> turn up and blow up all your all your electrical infrastructure and your sewage infrastructure that they they played it very very soft for the first year and the the thing is it's it's not really ukraine that they're fighting it's it's a nato proxy war sorry that that's what it is and the uh, the feelings that you think are, are permeating the uh, <laughs> miscalculation that they've made, that's, again, this weaponized PSYOP. It's the blue and yellow virtue-signaling flags that you see on Twitter or the fucking fireworks that they'll spray all over London as, as they continue to rub this globalist, global homo agenda, corporatist agenda down our throats and russia doesn't want to comply with it <laughs> russia doesn't like global homo you know they've they've got traditional ideas and i'm not saying russia's perfect very very far from that russia russia is engaging in systems for biometric id they're going down these digital id pathways but you know that's, I, I made the point this morning that you can have, if you tried to explain to someone a hundred years ago and you took out your driver's license and showed it to them and said, in a hundred years, you're, you're all going to have to have these little things. They wouldn't even understand what plastic was. <laughs> and they may have some concept of photography, but like the, the embedded chips in them and the digital, they would have no idea. And we're at that point right now. And, and of course, the world changes. We can't stop that. But we, we can have a discussion about how, how it's going and where we want it to go. And Russia, Russia has a point. You know, that, that bit of agitprop they put out was just a, a androgynous young boy and he had parent one and parent two and then Santa Claus comes and gives him a football and some boy boy clothes <laughs> that was that was brilliant and it epitomizes to me the cultural clash that we're in and anyone that would sort of claim to be for conservative traditional values in my mind should be lending the moral support to the Russians in in this instance because they're, they're, they're fighting against being subsumed by this globalist ideology. A globalist ideology that's literally just done a massive coup of the West. <laughs> we're, just, we're just supposed to sit here applauding their actions. Do me a favor. Americans need a cause. The blue and yellow flags are found in every small town. Really? That's fucking sad. But yeah, you see it all over Twitter. You see it, and again, it's uh, weaponized, weaponized psychological operations being unleashed against you. 
How, how many of those Americans know about those biolabs? The millions of dollars being pumped in there by DOD and DITRA. How do, do they know about the programs trying to extract Russian synovial fluid as opposed to Ukrainian? And it's got to be Russian genotypes, not Ukrainian. Right. That's telling you that they're engaged in research for race-based weaponry, biological weaponry. Anyway, I think I'm done with uh, Ukraine. Um, oh, yeah. Th this is the system that we're supposed to be uh, applauding, right? This this system that's taking a swipe at your children with untested biologicals that we know have a side effect profile that dwarfs anything that it was its predecessor. <laughs> and now we've got some Ching Chong Haberdine <laughs> going to tell you to go and stick it in your children. Let's let's have a let's have a look at this rancid piece of agitprop. Let's return to normal. Hi, my name is Jin Tong Tang. Oh, Jin Tong Tang. Professor of Entrepreneurship and Management at St. Louis University. <laughs> Do me a favor. Well, let's let's see. Let's see what she's going to advise. Some medical advice from her. Professor of Entrepreneurship. I'm a professor of entrepreneurship and management at St. Louis University. Vaccinating your children reduces the risk of being infected with COVID-19, which can help keep them from being sick. This means that they can stay in school and continue their education uninterrupted, and they will be more likely to be able to participate in sports and clubs and return to fun activities or visit the hospital with myocarditis. <laughs> Develop neurological disorders. Like play days and spending time with friends outside of the house. Depending on your school's policies, vaccinated children without symptoms may not be required to quarantine after exposure to someone who tested positive for COVID-19, which also helps keep children in school and parents working uninterrupted. I still remember one afternoon in November when I was still working in my office and my 11-year-old sent me a text. He said, Mimi, I am vaccinated. I'm protected like adults now. I could feel the excitement and pride in his text. So get your shot today. I did. Oh, Stockholm Syndrome Chinese style. <laughs> yeah. Touche, bro. Uh, hang on a minute. Let me just say uh, thank you. There's uh, Mackie D for uh, Simon uh, coming from London. Uh, you can have a... Uh, what should we have? Do this. Uh, you can have... <laughs> you had enough? And uh, well, folks, every every penny today goes to uh, tax evading blick. Got to keep it fed in Mackie D's. 
And uh, of course, don't forget Chris as well. He needs electric in the meter. Uh, is this coming from China for foreign English speakers? I don't know. But I don't know what a fucking professor of entrepreneurship is standing there giving fucking health advice. <laughs> what world have we walked into? How much was she paid to do this? How much does she know the data of the sequelae that can come from vaccination in children who are at minimal risk right now? This is this is a joke. They, <laughs> I need the uh, where's DJ where you need him with uh, the turd in the face. <laughs> I need the turd in the face. That's what they're doing to you. I think we need to listen to the ching chong ping pong part. Vaccine stock up. Call your local CVS or Walgreens. Unbelievable. Um, so, you know, looking at influencers, we have, of course, uh, this cliff again, uh, you know, uh, the date of this, I think, is um, a little old. Um, but here they are admitting to uh, engaging in psychological operations on you. Um, trusted Messenger project, which was called Team Halo, where we trained scientists um, around the world and some doctors on TikTok. And we had TikTok working with us. And um, these scientists who had virtually no following to start with um, got verified to uh, as uh, <laughs> shown by Charles Rix's analysis on Twitter, right? It is all the same mechanisms. <laughs> well, we're the good guys. Do me a favor. Ticks, um, they started bringing people in their community into their labs, into their offices, and answering their questions, engaging with them. Um, it really took off, and many of them became kind of like national media go-to um, advisors, uh, and you know, so um, trusted. So you know, this is something that we know is happening. I had another link for uh, I didn't I didn't want to pull it up. I've got I got loads of stuff I'm trying to get through, and I'll I'll try to get through the week and sort of bigger networks and how the, how they're sort of interacting, and it's all coming out now. It's not just Twitter. It's Google. It's YouTube, etc. And they are th th y we are slaves to these entities, to these private government partnerships that are hell-bent on putting us into a gulag. Now, look, it, it may not be one where you're shuttled off in a cattle cart out into the middle of nowhere and <laughs> you've got to resort to cannibalism. And a gulag becomes your home. The tracking is what follows after you. And, and they're determined to r rip out the, the wealth generating classes. I, I put a link in the Discord um, today where it was some terrible statistic, like over 56% of small businesses in the UK have shut up shop. 56%. And it's just a massive wealth transfer to the same greedy fucking hogs at the top who, who have no compulsion um, in waging war in places like Ukraine. And I'm, I'm telling you, I think they're pretty much done with 
the pestilence <laughs> component. I think what comes next with their with their nudge units is fucking starvation and limit to essential medication to to pull you into their systems. And yeah, the the diseases will go round, and we're dealing with a eighty ninety percent. Um, vaccination rate in most western countries and we're seeing disturbing signals we had a good discussion about the class switching in the igg uh, molecules we don't know what that's going to mean over the long term but it's probably not good it means that those people are going to become reactors for the virus so <laughs> We're in, we're in a precarious um, territory right now. And there, there, there are scumbags at the top who are relishing it, who have insider trader information, who are, who are determined to shape your mind through programs like that, where the antidote is listening to people like me, where they've come and shut me down <laughs> pretty hard. I ran in a little bit. Um, so, in in lieu of that, and again, um, how current these clips are, I don't know. But it, it, it again, I thought this, I found this interesting after our discussion in the roundtable earlier, and we're gonna hear degenerate sodomite spiritually bereft worshipper of mammon Yuval Harari tell you how it's going to be in their dreamed up techno-fascist rainbow utopia do you think there could be such a thing as an AI doctor? certainly I think it will be, uh, it's, it's coming quite soon. It will have immense benefits for, for humans and it will also have a lot of, of dangers. Why would you say it would be beneficial? Because, for example, an AI doctor could, uh, that, say, monitors, let's take the, the, the classical scenarios that yeah. people talk about, that you go around 24 hours a day with biometric sensors on or inside. <laughs> Just, what, what, is, is that... Uh... Who is that? Is that that head of the EU, Van der Leyden? Where he's just he's just tacitly admitting you're going to be um, <laughs> embedded into the Internet of Things. No, no pause there to think about the uh, ethical and uh, moral consequences of this action. No, it's just a given that they're going to do that, and you're going to comply your body mm. and they constantly send information so you're to, monitored hmm? from you are monitored you're monitored all the time, all the, time. The, the information goes to an ai doctor maybe on your smartphone or whatever mm -hmm. uh, which uh, uh, analyzes all this stream of information and monitors your health in a way which no human doctor can can it can even approach and it can do things like diagnose Christine Lagarde, thank you. That's the name I was trying to think of. Thank you, Albert. Sir, when it's and still just beginning and it's still very, very easy and cheap and painless to cure it, 
instead of waiting for a couple of years until it spreads and one day you wake up and you feel a bit of pain and you die, it's nothing and it, it becomes worse and worse. You go to the doctor, they send you to all kinds of tests and by the time they find out, uh, maybe it's not too late, but it's certainly going to be a long, painful, expensive process to deal with it. Mm. So the promises are enormous. Also, the perils are, are enormous and not just to the job market. In, in so what happens industry. to all the regular doctors? They lose their job. Uh, depends. They uh, they need they can reinvent themselves and and change <laughs> what they do. And just learn the code. <laughs> all those years spent learning medicine, the art of medicine. Learn the code. Certainly, if if most of what you do is just information comes in, you recognize a pattern and you make a diagnosis, yeah. this is something that AI will be, will be much, much better than humans. Mm. Uh, nurses, for example, are much safer than, than, than these kinds of doctors. Okay. Explain to um, Because if everything you do is just analyze information, you gather information on a patient, and then again, you recognize the pattern, oh, this is the pattern of lung cancer, mm. or oh, this is the pattern of flu, and this is the best treatment, then this is the easiest thing to automate. Mm -hmm. But if you actually need to give any, an injection to that person, if you actually need to change a bandage or to give a shower, that's much more difficult. Yeah. I mean, the, we are going to have AI. So we still need a cattle class for the, for the plebs. <laughs> Why is it in the Brave New World? The gammas. <laughs> we need we need the gammas to be uh, sweeping up, washing dirty arseholes, <laughs> thinking thinking it's the best thing. And, and and thank Lord they don't have to do those difficult uh, thinking tasks that the upper classes do. <laughs> They're better. I doctors long before we have AI nurses. Yeah. yeah, that's. I mean, this is a finding that particularly in Japan they are experimenting with. The difficulty of inventing that robot which is going to lift patients out of their bed which is just almost impossible at the moment yeah and unless you have the human beings to actually do it exactly and people often think that no we are not going to have ai doctors because a, do a good doctor needs to not just diagnose my disease and recommend treatment the doctor must understand my emotional state mm. might take her into account my fears my my anger uh, my depression, this is part of, of treating me. Mm. And people say, oh, an AI will never be able to do that. Mm -hmm. But this, is, this doesn't really make much sense because at least as far as, as biology tells us today, anger and fear and depression, they are also biochemical processes. Where's his uh, biology degree? Where's his medical degree? Where's his neuroscience degree, PhD? Again, you've got a you've got a talking head spilling out corporate gobbledygook that's being lapped up by the, the I don't know what, what that oligarch class. They're licking their lips at the thought of being able to squeeze an extra penny at the dollar by uh, up, upsetting systems that we have that you know generally work if if they're if they're used correctly. But no, they, they, they have to inst institute their changes on their time scale. <laughs> screw you, screw, screw us all. Biochemical patterns, just like flu or cancer. If the AI can diagnose flu, it can also diagnose anger.
And the fact that it doesn't have any emotions of its own actually makes it in, in, in many situations much better because it has no distractions. And you know, your, your human organism 74891 we detect that you are unhappy with your current economic situation you must you must reverse that behavior or you will be docked you'll be docked 20 points from your social credit score that's that's what he's talking about jesus doctor maybe her husband this morning had a fight with her and she's she's treating you but she's still kind of reconstructing the fight from from this morning an ai doctor has no husband so <laughs> for the moment for the... um what the fuck the moment uh old degenerate nouveau harari has a husband <laughs> just how how are we taking life advice from someone like that i'm sorry um no kids uh fucked up <laughs> sorry nick if you're listening but uh fucked up sort of living situation a very very warped view on uh how society and uh cultures function where he's 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 dismissive of the uh the spiritual elements of human existence it's an anachronism that's from the Neolithic age to get us through that just needs to be bred out or conditioned out of the of the human slave class. The moment, so so the AI can focus a hundred percent on you, and you know people go through the through life wanting. Unit seven nine eight four one. We we detect some bullshit. Oh, she attitudes. So we will be upping your haloperidol. You'll be getting a depot injection. You will comply. Somebody to understand me. Somebody to understand how I feel. People are obsessed with it. I want my mother to understand me. I want my husband to understand me. I want my president to understand me. And Fuck. you know, when 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 two humans meet, it becomes a contest. Of I want you to understand me, and you want you, uh, me to understand you, and very often we, we miss each other. So it blurs the judgment. But with an AI, the AI doesn't want you to understand it. Mm. It is a hundred percent focused on you, and it reacts. If if it reaches a sufficient level of sophistication, it can react in the perfect way to your personality type, mm. to your current mood. Actually, the danger I think is that people will become so used to computers that are so empathic, that really understand me so deeply, that really care about my tiniest nuance of, of emotion, that humans will not be able to compete. <laughs> we will become intolerable. To Man is a demon. Let it burn. Let it burn. I mean, this and again, I'm trying to sort of move the discussion. Okay, yeah, we we have to. Look, there's a fight around what they've done to us with respect to the medical tyranny, the introduction of Bolshevism through the medical system. We've got a fight tooth and nail against that. Right? There's a there's a small window, but we've got to be conscious of of where it is that they want to take us.
<laughs> no intercity flights for you and your country, but private jets. Oh, that's okay. You get paid. You have to pay extra tax on aviation fuel. It doesn't apply to private jets. <laughs> In 2030, Britain is saying that it's not going to make any more cars. They're, sh- they're, they're <laughs> lowering speed limits. All under the pretext of, oh, there's too much carbon dioxide. And I, I would say, as a scientist, that I don't think that that debate is settled. Sorry. <laughs> We're having theatrics like this clown or Greta Thunberg come and dictate global policy to us. And that global policy is geared towards your imprisonment. No more. No less. <laughs> Literally, we're heading down the pathway of a Chinese one child per family, you know, very stratified, more stratified than it is right now with party of patriarchs that get privileged positions and and special lanes so they can still ride their cars while you're you're having to go along in your fucking Sinclair C5 with a fucking plastic anorak over so the batteries don't short out. Mm. Chocolate is good, says Bravo Doc, you're right on. Yeah. I don't know if, uh, if people can't see this, um, I, I don't know what I, what I can do. And, you know, like I've said, I'll, I'll keep on top of the, the COVID stuff, etc. But I, I think we understand the pathology right now. We understand the networks that were involved. We, we know who the individuals were. We've, we've kind of set up to take a, li- a legal bite out of them. But just we're going to be squabbling about that whilst they're rushing ahead they are moves and moves ahead of us right now and you know when the when the monetary system changes and you know and it, it could come at any any moment right <laughs> and look I I can't survive a a, a bank account being shut down. (laughs) It's the minimal that I have for for subsistence level. We would last a couple of weeks. But they're in a situation to be able to do that. (laughs) Those old uh, war expenses with Russia are mounting up. We'll, uh, We'll be seizing those assets in the banks. Thank you. And that's literally how they've got the banks set up right now. If they start failing, is to take the customers' um, savings and money and use it to try and bail themselves out. And that came after the 2008 crash. <laughs> We've inched closer and closer to these people being, again, this is the um, transfer of wealth that, epitomizes Bolshevism and I would put forward the premise that that this is what we're dealing with right now it's a 21st century form of Bolshevism and you know there's a high J quotient in the people who are trying to organize and do this stuff driven by ideologies like Tikkun Olam and (laughs) there are those that are doing it for eschatological reasons and there are those that are doing it just for Good old-fashioned greed. 
just <laughs> selfishness is a virtue. <laughs> Robbing the pensions again. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I, I have no doubt that they, they would do that. Look, the, the current system is broken, right? So that, so that tells you that they have to do something. We're seeing them remold the planet. And again, you know, how much is it going to be in their image versus how much of the sovereign rights that we were bequeathed are we going to be able to hang on to? And right now, not not very many are going to be able to stand up. And a lot of that just comes from the fact that people have been caught in debt traps. Um, they're, they're, they're true believers of this technocratic offering being given by the likes of Yuval Harari. And, it, and again, it's not just him. You've got... The, the, all those corporations and mega corporations, again, that are profiting from all the small businesses closing. And behind them is a power structure that we can barely glimpse into. But there's, I'm pretty sure that those people have a spiritual framework. Spiritual is probably the wrong word to use, but some type of eschatological framework that they use, even if it's just a way of filtering out who, which psychopaths can rise up through the system to get, to, to be part of to, to have the sociopathic detachment to run a system like they're proposing. He's just talking about, well, we'll just cover you in censors. But it'd be for your, uh, be for your good, for the common good. Fuck these gaffers! Oops, sorry. Um, I think, I think it's time. You know it's that time. Uh, I'll skip that one. It's, it's time for the Shaheeds. <laughs> Prominent Lithuanian influencer Agni realizes that there's a climate catastrophe coming. The rich are going to struggle to get their Wagyu beef and champagne. She stepped up and stepped into the breach and she sequestered her carbon. We salute this Shahid. She's actually a pretty good looking chick. That's a shame. I'd let her influence me. <laughs> Who do we have next? Second, ABC News producer dead within a week. Erica Gonzalez, I think the age is wrong, 28, died overnight. This follows the death of producer Dax Tierra, 37, from a heart attack last Friday, December 23rd. This is at the same news network, 10 News San Diego, New York Post. Uh these young zoomers they realize we're on the precipice of ecological collapse they realize that they're being greasy bastards by using their carbon to breathe in klaus schwab's air so she stepped into the breach and what have you done nothing sitting there voiding your jabs how dare you uh, Modest mouse drummer Jeremiah Green dead 
<laughs> ripe old age of 45. Now, I don't know whether he's uh, jabbed or not, but uh, another young, <laughs> sudden adult death. Something's, something's going around, uh, shall we say, sequestering carbon for our betters. Journalist and Irish Times contributor Brian Hutton dies suddenly. 1st of January, 23. He stepped into the breach. He realised that him sitting there by the sea was polluting those seas. Sucking the fish out of it like a vacuum pulling dust out of you. Out of the dirty corners of your spare bedroom. He stepped up. He sequestered his carbon. And what have you done? Nothing. We salute the Shaheeds. Allah Akbar. Alright, so the main the main content of this stream. We're gonna to listen to Robert Malone. Um I think this is uh I say I listened to the first five minutes and it sort of spurred me to uh do a stream, but um I need to I need to get a uh a beverage. Getting a bit hoarse shouting at the uh the screen. I will be back in a couple of minutes. Just bear with me.
Yeah, right. Where were we? Robert Malone. Right. So I've suddenly, my interest in Robert Malone has uh, increased somewhat in the last few days and weeks. And that's because he started to use the, well, the the language and uh, framework which uh, I've been trying to use uh, for the past couple of years which is to look through current events through the not just bio warfare but the the initiation of modern warfare techniques hybrid warfare that will use any and all methodologies to achieve its aims and in this in this warfare, um, one of the difficult aspects is trying to get a bead on who are the actual protagonists, who are the... Uh, give us the shekel dance. <laughs> I will. I will if you pay some shekels. Just uh, help me hit that monthly goal, and then uh, I'll dance. <laughs> um and so, again, I'm I'm agnostic about Robert Malone. He says a lot of good things. He misses a lot as well. Now, whether it's deliberate omission, I'm not sure. I think we have to try and work that out. And that's why I want to listen to these conversations as the con- as the dialogue is being brought into a. Um, a direction that lines with what I think most cogently explains the data points that we're seeing emerge and historically have a fingerprint which we can follow through the scientific and geopolitical data. And, you know, what what does it mean if... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the the pin has been pulled, the trigger squeezed, and um, we're a go. And I'm sort of of the opinion that in these situations, population and crowd control is a high priority for those that wish to leverage through their particular hobby horse agenda. And <laughs> it's Yuval Harari's degenerate... <laughs> sensor-driven techno-fascist rainbow future, then we have to be aware of that. And again, this is for for the new year. I think this is, we we, we must be conscious enough of the the potential assaults that that are coming down the line. And, you know, again, in broad strokes, we get what it is. Um, it's about being able to dodge the implementations of it as it emerges in 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 your environment, and you know maybe you can't 
dodge all of it. And I do think that non-compliance is the way to go. I do think that using the courts is the way to go. I'm desperately trying to avoid the next step, which would be a sort of pulling ourselves into a conflict situation that would end up looking very much like Ukraine does now. Except in that, in that scenario, I'm not even sure that you would be having state like actors um, engaged in that type of warfare. And, you know, I would encourage people to go back and listen to the very in-depth conversations I did with Charles Rixey, where we were just sort of gaming out the uh, the potentialities. And as I stated, I've stated multiple times, I think that the primary attack is to break the, the traditional model of the United States, the, the Constitutional Republic with uh, the Bill of Rights and yada, yada, yada. That's, that's the target. That's, that's what needs to be smashed. And then there's nowhere else on the planet that can basically put up anything approximating um, mass, uh, mass defiance. Uh, because most areas, of, most Western areas of the world have been disarmed and were disarmed long ago. And <laughs> this is, again, the parallels with the emergence of Bolshevism are um, striking to me. And you know, I'm, I'm hoping that there are, again, white hats that people are listening to that um, I, I guess have been blessed in uh, by the system to be able to keep speaking to a larger audience. But um, again, you know, I'm, I, 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 I don't want to be engaged in a purity spiral. I think actions speak louder than words. And so let's listen to Robert Malone's words and where he thinks we are and what I think is on point and what I think he's missing. So let us uh, begin. Is it 10 billion or 13 billion in the United States alone that was employed in this, what else can you call it, PSYOPs campaign to coerce, compel, and mandate that we accept an unlicensed product that turns out to not be safe nor effective? Today I sit down with mRNA vaccine pioneer, Dr. Robert Malone, author of the new book, Lies My Government Told Me and the better future coming. Elon now is in a position where he has access to incredibly damaging information about the willingness of the US government to collude with industry and compromise the First Amendment. We dive into information warfare, psychological operations, and how we can make sense of the bewildering series of events we've witnessed in the last three years. Your mind and your thoughts, your very emotions, are the battleground. It is not about territory. It's about what you believe. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kellek. Dr. Robert Malone, such a pleasure to have you back on American Thought Leaders. John, it's, it's been my enduring pleasure to have these chats with you from time to time. It's, it always forces me to think more about things before I walk into your studio. Well, let, let's talk about something that seems to be on everybody's mind right now, which is Twitter, of course. <laughs> and you've said that Twitter isn't a business, it's a weapon. So what does that mean? This is an essay we put out a couple of months ago before Elon uh, transform the company in the way that he has. Twitter is one embodiment, as, as we all know now, of multiple social media platforms in which ostensibly um, what you interact with you believe to be free 
and as has been pointed out repeatedly, if you don't know who's paying for it, you're the product and the information that you provide is the value that's being extracted. All of these social media platforms are actively employed by intelligence community to uh, shape opinion, uh, to truly shape thought, to shape emotion. I'm in 100% of agreement with what he's saying there. Um, bravo for being able to get it out <laughs> on a large platform. Um, it's great. This bit's great. I, I applaud Robert. And Twitter, it's clear now, has become the premium platform for uh, shaping uh, emerging global consensus about the topics of the day. And in the case of Twitter, what triggered me to write this article was an analysis that had been done. The authors speculated that Twitter was deployed during Arab Spring. As I was reading that section, um, it triggered me because I knew that Twitter had been deployed during Arab Spring as a weapon. And it's often the case in our kind of military industrial intelligence complex world here in the United States that we have a history of, of piloting uh, weapons platforms uh, during uh, um, peripheral skirmishes that are occurring in, in our kind of imperial world uh, that we operate here out of Washington, D.C. Uh, in, in the case of Arab Spring, you'll recall that we had a lot of young crowds moving and acting um, in ways that were uh, very disruptive. We'll just say disruptive. Then we're not placing value on you know this person versus that person. They were just disruptive. Twitter was, I knew that Twitter was deployed then because I had a uh, thank you, Chocolate is Good, for uh, dropping the uh, payment links in there. I'll just remind everyone, that QR code works as well. Just zap your phone at it, please. Keep the, help keep the lights on in the dojo. But thank you, Chocolate is Good, for uh, putting the links. Really appreciate it. Client at the time that uh, was deeply, deeply involved in both uh, non-classified and classified research into... Uh, being able to map the emotional content of uh, language being used by individuals on social media platforms. It's a multilingual program that uh, analyzes emotional content of language. It's a form of, of language processing uh, based on well-established psychological uh, parameters, so it's all statistically grounded. And I was also working for a company, TASC, it's a Beltway Bandit here, uh, in, um, in a senior position having to do with business development. And they had their own platforms that also were being developed for uh, defense and uh, um, intelligence communities to perform similar functions. So what I'm referring to here is that with modern social media platforms, one is able to uh, obviously extensively map relationship clouds uh, and, and also to map uh, the uh, consensus within a relationship cloud about a given topic, uh, where that consensus is moving, who's driving it, who's at the fringes of that cloud that are the influencers that are dragging it in this direction or that direction. Uh, and um, uh, the social media platforms, the technology that we're all familiar with as individuals, and we use this language like, I've been shadow banned. Okay, I've been deplatformed. Oh. I can't get the reach that I thought I could get. Just shadow banned? <laughs> Fuck. What an amateur. Um, you know, it, it kind of struck me, and it, it's something that I've seen 
in the last day or so, and God damn it, I have to speak about Andrew Tate. But at the same time that Andrew Tate was having his uh, arrest, somehow magically filmed by <laughs> dozens of news crews and cameras, uh, there was a release of files which essentially showed that JP Morgan was facilitating the business of Epstein's island. Now, you know, maybe Tate has been used as a as a distraction effect in in this um in this ecosystem. Maybe. Uh, maybe the arrest was staged. A lot of it looks staged. He's he's been promised more exposure, more clout, etc. That drives his business model. While at the same time, no one is talking about the release of these files that involves again a massive banking behemoth and its relationship to some of the most well public and disturbing elements of well paedophilia that's what it's what it is paedophilia within the ruling elites and how it's been used and leveraged by specific groups to blackmail their way into uh, positions of power and influence so that's that's a thought that just crossed my mind as he's um defining this concept of being able to push a crowd or or population in a in a particular direction chocolate is good says don't know and comment oh wonderful wonderful (laughs) charles and uh charles Text evading Blick and Chris will be uh, happy. Oh, suddenly that tweet went really viral and a whole bunch of people saw it. And, oh, that's so great. You know, they all agree with me. That is grossly naive to think that way. The way that these tools, these weapons... Oh, yeah, and Tate comes from apparently a CIA family. Keep that in mind as well. (laughs) Also... uh, information warfare weapons work is that um, uh, those controlling them can modulate the messaging that's occurring within these influencer clouds that can be readily mapped and in fact all the members of that influencer cloud can be physically mapped in space particularly if they're using a cellular device in an urban center because you have multiple cell towers that can triangulate them. And that then maps into what's called Gorgon Stare, which is this incredible high-resolution imaging capability that we now have in spy satellites. Well, hang on. I want to say, um, I don't know if that's uh, you, Chocolate, but uh, there is a dono there. And uh, let's have a... Uh, I'll do it. Of course, it's not going to work. But uh, for for the dono, being able... That clip cracks me up. Uh, <laughs> uh, where were we? Where were we? Where were we? 
um, yeah, CIA, etc. And again, how much is smoke and mirrors and um, all all designed to distract your attention from movements of uh, bigger bigger whales in the ocean. So your um, current state of mind, based on the language that you're using and the topics that you're talking about, can be mapped very precisely, psychologically. Uh, it can be tied into a web of influence relationships. Uh, it can be uh, identified um, in geospatial uh, environments. It can be tied to physical images so that uh, um, that can be tied to what is the vehicle you're driving? Who do you get into that vehicle with? Who are you traveling with? Who are you associating with? All these things can now be totally integrated and mapped. And um, by using these tools of manipulating what information, what tweets you put out, what messages you put out um, to your influencer cloud, they can modulate how those people behave. You can actually very actively control what individuals are thinking, the information that they're gathering, what they're being influenced to do. So a crowd that is in a plaza um, uh, protesting against some action that's happened during Arab Spring can be modulated to go this direction physically or that direction or intellectually or psychologically very readily using these tools. Without, and I'll just jump in, without realizing that there's any manipulation actually happening. Precisely, and that, that is the essence of this kind of information warfare, um, psychological operations, and one word that's coming when... Again, I, I've agreed with every statement that he's said so far. Um, I think he describes the current environment very um, eruditely, I guess you could say, a very erudite description of uh, what we're dealing with. Um, yeah, and it's it's where I think we should be looking at the problem, how we're being um, gamed right now, and you know what's the, maybe maybe I'm in doing what I'm doing. Perhaps I'm helping it in some way. I don't I don't know. <laughs> but that's a possibility. It's a possibility, but um, I, I I don't know. I think that I think the degree that they go to to um, shut me down means that I'm problematic at some eh, not the highest level but the the <laughs> they've got some peon <laughs> to hit the hit the ban buttons on me phrase that's coming before more and more is uh, fifth generation warfare or fifth generation warfare gradient is a better way to think about it um, this new uh, battleground in which your mind and your thoughts your very emotions are are the battleground. It is not about territory. It's about what you believe. It's what you think. And with these tools, that can be actively crafted, modified, manipulated in a very sophisticated way, and then propagated within the domain of those that you are influencing, which is why there's so much importance in targeting those that are, um, let's say, hyper-influential within a cloud of, of connectivity. So then, what is the significance of Elon Musk? Oh, Mark. Um... Please jump in because there's uh, there's some interesting uh, data points if you've uh, if you've got the time, bro. Um, happy to get your uh, commentary on this. Um, like I say, I take your uh, analysis uh, of Malone very very seriously, um, but uh, not but but in in this in this environment, 
um, something has changed. Something has changed such that the dialogue that he's using is this, again, trying to describe this hybrid warfare. Um, so just uh, if you just call me on Discord, Mark, if you want to come in and uh, I'll keep an eye on it. Um, but rather than me call you, uh, you're in transit right now. Um, okay, no worries. So let's let let's carry on. Uh, taking over Twitter and what has transpired in your mind, given everything you've just told me. Early on, before the acquisition, when there was still all this discussion about how many of the Twitter users were actually bots or um, synthetic users, uh, not true individuals. Uh, there was much discussion about the business model that was driving the acquisition. And this relates to the envisioned company X, uh, a name that apparently Elon has bought back from PayPal. And for instance, to, to kind of illustrate an angle in this, you recall that Elon recently discussed in some of his tweets, uh, I don't know how his board is letting him get away with it, by the way, he must have total control, um, that they're building a new alternative to PayPal. What he indicated early on was the intended business model was more akin to WeChat, in which uh, Twitter, or whatever Twitter becomes, let's call it X for the sake of argument, uh, um, becomes kind of one ring to rule them all, the universal application. The universal application through which you'll do your banking, your commercial transactions, buy your groceries, have your social media transactions, everything. Yeah, and very, very good point, and a concern that's been raised many times here. And yeah, this this idea of turning it into uh, the, the equivalent of WeChat and having all this embedded functionality beyond being able to comment, and this this falls directly into the domain of well, you know, the social control and you um, being out of bounds of their. Um, Well, the, the rules and regulations with respect to conduct, and you know there are, you know, if there has to be, in my mind, if these people are going to be taking up such critical roles in infrastructure, um, that they they can't be subject to that. Uh, they're providing. Integral services like banking, like um, I don't know, whatever bureaucratic nonsense that you're required to do on a day-to-day -day basis, and what they they have the right to limit your access to these services because they don't like the way that you think, and you can say, well, that, that's not going to happen. Well, it's it's already happened, right? I know myself is <laughs> not getting back on. Uh, I know Ryan Dawson is not getting back on. And why? Well, because we tend to push the envelope with respect to uh, who or what is uh, trying trying to corral us into this digital gulag. Okay, that's that's the logic that was purported uh, underlying the acquisition, and so from that, the importance of understanding the true user base becomes crucial because that is um, something that is a commodity. You know, your or my being on Twitter uh, represents a potential node that has uh, commercial transactions that could be monetized, okay? So um, 
what do we have here? I'm not sure. And I think a lot of people are kind of on the fence. Uh, certainly, I think we can all celebrate uh, Elon's willingness to be uh, transparent and uh, demonstrate integrity in disclosing the intense, almost casual, routine interaction between the intelligence community, particularly the FBI, and Twitter. That, that in, in these recent Twitter files that have come out, uh, clearly demonstrates how closely integrated Twitter was as a weapon uh, for forming um, public opinion and manipulating public opinion and reinforcing the, the intended public opinion and consensus. Uh, but what's behind that and, and where's he really going with this? This gentleman that is one of the major defense contractors to the United States, SpaceX, among other platforms, uh, and uh, is advancing this uh, clearly transhumanist uh, technology that we call Neuralink. What is really um, in... Again, uh, very, very accurate descriptions. Um, I'm not disagreeing with his assessment so far. behind Elon Musk's business decisions. And, and I, you know, a lot of people get caught up in the uh, enthusiasm of Elon Musk being a savior of uh, democracy and free speech. And uh, that may be one of his motivations. I can't get in his head, I don't know what he's thinking. But I do know that he is a business person. And I do know that he's been a very successful business person as well as a very successful technologist. And uh, it's hard for me to imagine uh, that he would have invested, what's the number, 40 billion? 44, um, I think. Yeah, yeah. 44 billion, and, which is a substantial fraction is clearly not his capital. Okay, so somebody is out there that has decided to deploy a major chunk of change, invest a lot of treasure in acquiring this thing, which, um, uh, whether intentional or not, puts Elon in a position where he's functionally able to blackmail the United States government. Now, that's a big word. Uh, it has a lot of impact. But I'm reminded of J. Edgar Hoover, who used to keep his little black book, where he had dirt on a lot of people here in D.C. And then, of course, we had this honey trap. Uh, oh, Jeffrey Epstein. Operation that we call Jeffrey Epstein. Oh. And Maxwell. That was clearly uh, a, an intelligence honey trap operation to compromise people. And uh, Elon... I want to say uh, another, another dono for um, Only Christ Remains. Uh, you can have... This, I'll do a, what, what's his face? That is me, uh, I am the artist, 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 access to incredibly damaging information about the willingness of the U.S. government to collude with industry and compromise the First Amendment. And uh, remember, this is a court case being brought by the two attorneys general, um, and they have just been given a huge gift. It basically makes their case. Uh, so um, I found it fascinating that Janet Yellen, a few weeks ago, was talking about the need to evaluate um, the potential antitrust implications of Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter. Elon doesn't have any other social media platforms, so Janet Yellen basically starts saber-rattling. Uh, and a week later, uh, Elon Musk starts deploying uh, intelligence about collusion between the U.S. government and Twitter to censor people on a routine basis. I'm just trying to make the point 
that there are wheels within wheels within wheels here. I can't ferret them out. I don't think you can either. We're, we're left here on the sidelines observing the passion play, observing the Kabuki theater, uh, and trying to discern meaning out of these little fragments of information which are being selectively released and deployed. And, and we also know now that a, a major Democratic operative, uh, lawyer was busy filtering all that information until fairly recently, uh, unbeknownst to Elon Musk. So like I'm saying. All true. All true. Um, hasn't missed a beat so far. Um, so he's got his lines down well, um, if, it, if this is just a rehearsal. Um, but yeah, I, th there's nothing that I would take issue with at the moment. Uh, very much along my lines of thinking. Maloney's saying he's on the sidelines. I don't think he's. I don't think he's saying that. Um, or or I, I would interpret it as, even though he has influence, the higher echelons, he's. If this, if he's being honest, he doesn't have any any more insight into it than than we do, and you know that's. Maybe true, maybe not. Um, I'm again. I'm I'm agnostic, and I'm agreeing with his gestalt description of the problem that we're having to deal with. So you know, the, is is Malone in there? You know, really able to pull lots of strings, etc. I'm not sure yet. Not sure. For sure, he's done some, he's had some significant impact. But again, at, at what level has he climbed and, you know, has he had a road to Damascus moment? That's, all, that's always the question I'm asking about Robert Malone. It, ha, has he had a true conversion or not? That's why I think it's important to analyze his language. And the the premise of fifth generation next generation warfare is again it's a it's a lens that i like to look at through these problems it it brings a lot into focus and most normie folks aren't going to be thinking along these lines most normie folks are going to still be focused on the <laughs> crimes against humanity that was the turning upside down of our medical and scientific establishments. Um, so, and, and, and like I said, in my mind, it's this way of thinking which takes us to the next waypoint along <laughs> the challenge of what we're dealing with. Robert and Kirsch have a development agreement with Lidos. I don't know who Lidos is. And for sure, these people are making money out of all this um, pandemic craziness. Um, that, that much is sure. There are wheels within wheels within wheels on this. And I don't, you know, Elon doesn't call me up. He called up. He, he contacted Jay Bhattacharya, right, uh, two Sundays ago, uh, to go into Twitter HQ and start reviewing um, uh, COVID files. So I'm not talking to him. Nobody in my close circle has direct personal communication on a routine basis with him. I don't know what he's thinking, but I do know that he is a very intelligent individual. 
I know that he is very strategic. Uh, and if he's doing things uh, in this space to advance uh, free speech and essentially to protect democracy um, or protect the integrity of the American experiment, um, I, I applaud that. I thank him for it from the bottom of my heart. Whatever his intentions are, if that's the outcome, one of the outcomes, it's a win. But I don't think any of us should be so naive as to assume that that is his only objective. One of the things that struck me, and I've written a little bit about this, uh, is, is the, the gift, the thing that I think the gift that Elon has given uh, everyone is he has a substantial following. There's a lot of people that love Elon. Right. And a bunch of haters. And, and, and certainly a bunch of haters. But, but here's the thing, okay? This corporate media ecosystem and so forth, you know, is started all of a sudden hating Elon, right? When they were either neutral or very positive to him for the best majority of, of, of the opportunity they had to do it. Tesla stock so, tanked. Tesla stock tanked. So my point is that all these people are now watching how this whole ecosystem has shifted on this guy, right? And wondering to themselves, wait a second, has this? Could maybe this has happened before? You know, this is—it's like this giant red pill. I, that's what I think. I have a friend that corresponds with me that uh, makes the case that uh, the—it's um, actually Alex Marinos, um, uh, you know, a, a key opinion leader in this uh, social media space. Uh, and uh, just a shout out—I'm grateful because he endorsed that. Yes, in fact, the data do support my thesis that uh, I was the original uh, inciting event inventor for this technology platform. Put that aside, Alex makes the case that Elon goes through these love-hate cycles about every two to three years and has been doing so for quite a long time. Hmm. And uh, he, his thesis, among others, is that um, he repeatedly... Now, I'm, I'm, I'm struck. I'm, not, I'm reminded of the comment, and I'm trying to think who said it. it might have been Epi, Church of Epi where it seems Robert Malone is, he wants, he wants the scientific credit for the mRNA, but he's also trying to maneuver himself away from anything that would be considered fallout from its overuse by an overzealous public health system. And, you know, is it... Cake, uh, cake. <laughs> case of uh, well, a case of him wanting to uh, have his cake and eat it too. I don't know. Um, for sure, he seemed to be involved in the early development of mRNA. I think many people were. Um, was he uh, the sole person involved? No, uh, that's not my understanding. Um, so Houstonic says the phrase mRNA was not in Robert Malone's resume before June 2021 I don't know what else to say he did not invent it um, again I, I would say that he was involved in studies that were at least the practical construction of, of the progenitor of that technology um was um yeah it's and like i said i'd i'd happily talk it out with him um 
you know, I don't want to trigger his PTSD or have him sue me for 25 million. But, um, you know, there was, the, the problem is I find myself agreeing, you know, I, I spent the first 15 minutes here agreeing with his description of the problem. It matches very much my um, conclusions of looking at the data. ...and bruised Bill Gates, um, basically outmaneuvered him. Uh, on uh, Tesla stock and other things, and with SpaceX also, uh, beat the expectations. So there's there's this long history of him uh, going through these hero villain cycles in in corporate media, uh, and that that uh, appears to reflect uh, underlying tensions within this caste that I like to call the overlords. Uh, <laughs> this tiny tiny fraction of elite that are we can increasingly see seem to control a lot of global events. Uh, and what we may be really observing are the artifacts of uh, competition, technological and financial, between um, these heavy, heavy hitters that are so far above uh, the world that you and I exist in that we only have a vague kind of cloud awareness that they're up there doing something. But you're not entirely a stranger to this whole, you know, de defense space here in Washington, D.C. Um, you know, you've got secret clearance, you've worked with all sorts of contractors. Mm -hmm. We talked about it even in this interview a little bit earlier. And I just want to say thank you to Matthew for uh, supporting the stream. Uh, you can have a, what should you have? Uh, well, as we're, as we're looking at nuclear Armageddon. Well, I said boys, nukes, I Mark. this is it. Nuclear combat toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Ruskies. Uh, thank you, thank you very much, Matt. Much, much appreciated. Please uh, support, uh, support the stream and uh, Doc Kev. And uh, yeah, Happy New Year to all those that have uh, supported the stream. The rest of you, you all... Jew. Yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> Just abuse, psychologically abuse my uh, my audience and fan base. Why not? All right, so we're getting to, I think, a very, very important point, which is the level of security clearance and the operational framework in which Malone operated. I think this is a critical piece of data that we have to fully understand. Um, you know, you've sat on a number of these boards in these uh, three-letter health agents, agencies and so forth. You know, why don't we actually start with how you got from... And just to answer um, Timber my shivers, does Malone name any heavy hitters? If not, he's reiterating what we all read on some media. Yeah, this is one of the issues that I have with Robert Malone. He'll point at the World Economic Forum, but the World Economic Forum is an easy piñata to um, take frustration out of. Does he name other names that we know are involved in <laughs> this, uh, this global game of risk? And um, in that particular instance, I don't think that he does. I really don't think he does. Maybe, maybe as we listen through this stream, I'll be pleasantly surprised. But um, until he brings up Bibi Netanyahu, 
and do uh, <laughs> yay the the over representation and impact of Jewish power in these uh, institutions that are jostling jostling just jostling for position right now um then you know we can be uh we can maybe say somewhat of a limited hangout maybe um may, maybe the focus on bibi is uh too much uh turns turns people away it's uh it's anti-semitic but you know i'm uh, if if we're gonna un tangle this knot we've we have to be able to address issues like the adl and their ability to stifle proper discussion about things like he mentioned epstein but why not why not mention epstein's actual intelligence connections and who they relate to because i think that's a really really important part of getting to grips and understanding this problem and it will help us make predictions about what we can expect coming down the the tracks towards us right now uh, Trudy says where was malone two years ago when we needed him he's recycling old news and he is after elon um where was he two years ago well two years ago he was i want to say he might have been no it was a year ago he was on joe rogan um and i you know i had a discussion with mark uh about this and the the sort of conclusion of that discussion was had we not had the pushback against the orthodox narrative and the um what they wanted to confuse everyone with which is the natural spillover as the lab origin data began to be solidified would we or had it not been solidified i should say would we have seen someone like robert malone coming forward in the way that he did and this is something that i think we always have to keep in mind is how much that this system will go towards damage control very very sophisticated uh, sophisticated damage control to maintain narrative or control narrative while at the same time doing everything it can to protect quote unquote national security and the actual power structures that really pull the levers and my, my own personal take is that we live in a world now where the concept of countries is just an illusion that they foist upon you right to, to keep you calm and literal transnational groups i think are able to come in and manipulate and use state level apparatus at their will because they'll have their people embedded in these institutions that's that's the state i think yeah i think that's in my opinion, the, the closest approximation of 
the problem that we're dealing with and how to solve that work that you know and move back towards a more um wholesome nationalism that recognizes the threat that these transnational organizations and their lickspittles and toadies who work within these institutions have on our everyday lives there i think that's the sort of problem in a nutshell so let's let's see how much robert malone gets to that problem doing the work that you did three four five years ago into talking about what you're talking about today to to kind of comprehend my world it's important to kind of go back to the root of uh, those events that cascade of events that happened when i was 28 and 29. nick says council on foreign relations yeah that's that's one organization that i think is hyper suspect and you know, uh, do I do I know though that that organisation inside out? No, I don't. But I do know that there are very very big names across the political spectrum who are affiliated with the Council on Foreign Relations, and I I, I see the Council on Foreign Relations as a um, strategic think tank for the nato countries and you know the, how much it links up with you know britain plays a very very central role in this and um the, the commonwealth countries and it's you know it's striking that, that much of the breach of rights seems to have taken place in those countries australia canada britain um of course there are european countries etc you know the list the list is complex but i think the primary focus should be on the organizations around council of foreign relations and um the well, you know that I don't even know if they exist anymore. But like the Club of Rome types, <laughs> the eugenicists are us. I mean, I got introduced to a group earlier from Nick, uh, the family group, or the family. Um, the the these high end, powerful institutions tend to operate out of view of the public. They keep, they tend to keep a very low profile, and you know on top of that comes um, all the more seedy aspect, you know the Epstein-like manipulations as well in in those power structures, and you know it's obvious to me that organizations or the, the the public organizations that should have been there to protect us like the universities the academies etc where the science has been done have been penetrated by these intelligence blackmail networks and um yeah they they have a guiding eschatology and you know whether it whether it's transhumanism or um, life extension or whether it's just that they're sadistic bastards that just, <laughs> that are control freaks and just just want ever more pieces of the pie and turning us into mindless drones. Maybe maybe it's something as simple as that.
Again, there's there's many, many possibilities that we have to work through here. Maple says, if Malone is so deep in spook territory, I wonder if he's been probed by a lame-ass <laughs> in Area 51. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, the... Look, if it's if it's British higher classes, um, you can be sure that uh, buggery is a <laughs> integral part of being introduced into the inner circles. And uh, yeah, the the buggery will then be extended to uh, how should we say a more uh, <laughs> younger younger cohort, right? And that's I think that's how they they kind of get a lot of the. Um, individuals to go along with their with their programs. Working for this, you know, leader in American biotechnology, uh, who was trained by David Baltimore, characterized reverse transcriptase form for which he got the Nobel Prize. David Baltimore being one of the most influential molecular biologists in the history of the world. I'm referring to Indra Verma, uh, who eventually got run out of the Salk Institute because of Me Too. Basically, he finally got outed after decades of sexual harassment. And uh, Inder gave me an ultimatum if I left his lab when I left it. Um, and you'll recall from my personal story, I left it at a time when I'd had a nervous breakdown and was diagnosed by physicians at UC San Diego as having post-traumatic stress disorder based on what I experienced at the Salk. Um, but Inder told me that I would never get an NIH grant if I left. And by God, he was right. I was forced to find another way. Uh, to proceed, and uh, then, as if that wasn't bad enough, I destroyed my career as a gene therapist by being a whistleblower about the Jesse Gelsinger death, uh, this UPenn um, adenoviral vector uh, overdosing situation that Jim Wilson uh, got into that collapsed the entire gene therapy industry. Um, and at the time, I was taking training with a bioethicist at U Maryland. So uh, I'm unfamiliar with um, some uh, the, the names that he mentioned, but I think I might be familiar with the case that occurred where th these are the early attempts at um, gene therapies and there were, um, there were deaths associated with it. I don't know if Mark is um, familiar with those names, but... Um, you know, these are these are little nuggets that I haven't heard before. And again, it, you know, my it's my own fault. I didn't really pay that much attention to Malone beyond the fact that he was talking about don't give mRNA shots to kids. And I was like, okay, I'll I'll take that. I'll take that win. Thank you. And you know, I I left the uh, the more detailed stuff for Mark to dig through um, his history. And um, I, I, again, you know, I'd use, I'll, I'll use the example. You could say that I could have been part of that sort of biotech world. I was th this close. And it had things fallen out differently that <laughs> the cards been dealt a little differently. I might be on the other side convinced convinced of the, <laughs> the the ethical and uh, moral framework in which I was operating that yeah but it, it's a good thing that we're doing to be able to map um, outward behavior and have a understanding of underlying brain states and we can we can manipulate it to sort of stop it um, from escalating out of control. I was sold on it. Um, 
am, am I uh, to be considered with suspicion in this particular instance? Now, look, I wasn't in the heady heights of uh, NIH <laughs> millions being doled out, but I circulated in that world. And, you know, the... Yeah, like I say, it it could it could very very easily have been a, a a different. I might not even be here talking to you today, right? And so I I I guess what I'm saying is is that um. It, it it's this has he had the road to Damascus moment? That's what that's that's the real question here. So maybe maybe he was involved in all kinds of shady shit. Maybe, maybe he, maybe he was mentally tortured by uh, having a rough uh, PhD and postdoctoral experience, and the institutes that he was working at were terrible working environments, etc. And they they broke him um, mentally, and he he had to get out. Maybe Miss Lone went all Mr. Hands with his stallions. <laughs> ah! What can I say that? Not this time. Not this fucking time. No! 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 Not this fucking time. No fucking way. No fucking way. No fucking way. No fucking way. You made me look a right cunt. All hands with his. Ah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, what's this about Savile? I go with sadistic bastards. This has been going on a long, long time. Yeah, Jimmy Savile. Yeah, let, let, like I say, that's the type of mindset that we're dealing with, and you know, the, um. British establishment is riddled with those types of people. You know, there were damaged children sent off to boarding school. You know, they were the fag and they were getting buggered. For you know, it's it's a it's a British institution. It's what our officer class is made of. Um, I'm still two hands with a what the fuck? How do you think that one up, dude? Holy shit. Uh, who's also Jill's PhD mentor, by the way. Uh, and uh, I told him what I knew about what had taken place. And he said, Robert, you have an ethical obligation to disclose what you know to the press. The press at that time included Cheryl Gay Stolberg, and that became the basis for an article that really catapulted her career in the New York Times. And it eventually resulted in the collapse of the entire gene therapy enterprise, really, as funded by NIH. So I was persona non grata times two. Uh, and I had to find a way forward. When I was in 1991, is that right? Uh, I think 1989. Yeah, it's like 91, um, 92. Uh, I had um, obtained a, literally a million dollar contract award by having good connections and knowing that there was an opportunity. It was actually when Bob Redfield uh, got in trouble for ethics with the AIDS vaccine. Suddenly a bunch of money became available for AIDS vaccine development. And I had the connections and I managed to capture uh, a little over a million dollars to build a DNA vaccine for AIDS, which was uh, a radical idea at the time. And this was a Navy operation. I <laughs>
Hi, it's colouring uh, uh, or joining all sorts of dots. I hope you're enjoying this, uh, Nick. <laughs> I knew the DOD system, and I knew that it operated in parallel, autonomously, from the NIH system. And so I basically have sought refuge within the DOD space and, and have a long history of working closely with those people, both as a funded and as a facilitator, kind of a, um, a problem solver. And over time, because of my connections and, and who I'd grown up with, who then... Um, I, 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 let me just clarify that, Mark. Just what, what I understood was he facilitated a research project. It wasn't his research project, but it was associated with a DNA vaccine for HIV. And um, I don't think he's taking the scientific credit for it. He was... Um, I don't know, like a, you could argue a sort of project manager. That's that's how I understood that. Had people that had grown within, particularly Defense Threat Reduction Agency, they came to me again and again for advice and assist, assistance in building um, teams to solve complicated problems. A notable example was um, when I basically spearheaded the development of the uh, Ebola vaccine and got Merck to buy it. Um, so the Merck Ebola vaccine uh, was a project that I took on um, in this kind of uh, surreptitious at the fringes of DOD and uh, business space. So I've long operated in this kind of gray zone between um, uh, Beltway Bandits and, and service providers, contractors, and uh, Department of Defense of necessity because I couldn't really operate within the traditional NIH academic space. Yes, he did say Redfield. Um, what the specific uh, allegations were about uh, sort of, um, ethical breaches, I, I don't know. Um, these are these are all clues for uh, Mark to go digging, um, as far as I'm concerned. But again, um, you know, the first part of this conversation was great. I loved what he was describing. What he's describing now makes me nervous about who he is. And I, I just refer back to the discussion that I had, that I just described with Mark, which is, would we be seeing Robert Malone right now if the natural origins of, or the spillover hypothesis had taken root so strongly that there was no um, no organized pushback against the idea of a lab origin pathogen. That's, that's a critical question. Uh, and yet uh, NIH would come to me because I had this deep, deep experience in, in taking products all the way through from discovery through licensure, regulatory affairs, clinical development, project management, all this stuff I'd had to master over decades. And, and so they would, NIH would come to me uh, and ask me to serve as uh, study section chair, particularly for these very large contracts, 80 million, 100 million, 150 million. And I kind of grew to specialize in assembling teams to solve complicated problems and capturing the money to get them funded to do the stuff that the gubbies wanted to have done. So that's kind of been my business. And the way that that has worked, and again, it's of necessity. I was forced into this space. And the way that works as a consultant, just trying to pay my bills, is that um, these clients want to take credit for what gets done. Um, and so 
um, you have to operate to, to do a business like what I was doing as, a, as essentially a small consulting shop. Um, you have to operate behind the scenes. You have to keep quiet, let the client um, take the win, uh, enable them, facilitate them, coach them. Uh, and that's kind of how I've gone along in my career now for decades until uh, this cascade of events which is unlike any, you know, I've been, I've been doing this through multiple, multiple outbreaks now. Um, I mentioned Ebola, Zika, uh, um, many, flu, many rounds of flu. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a bona fide expert in flu vaccine development. Uh, used to be um, clinical head of Salve uh, for their $330 million uh, influenza vaccine, cell-based influenza vaccine contract. I know all of this area really well. Um, but when this thing broke, uh, this COVID crisis, it was unlike anything I or my peers had ever experienced. And uh, as usual, when I get this phone call from this character, Michael Callahan, uh, that, that I was under the impression he was at Wuhan at the time, uh, uh, he says that he wasn't. Uh, he went to Wuhan shortly thereafter uh, and then left with the quarantine is his story and then went to the Diamond Princess and managed that. Uh, um, these are critical... These are it, uh, oh, oh. critical points in in the SARS timeline and yeah CIA man Michael Callahan it seems to be somewhat of a man of mystery um dipping in and out of all these uh hot spots where SARS is emerging <laughs> and you know there's uh, there's still the working hypothesis of that that there was a staged release of SARS. Maybe SARS had been circulating earlier. I mean, if you read ethical skeptics' work, he'll make the argument that there was a sort of proto SARS that he thinks leaked from China and sort of went around the globe and sort of conferred some immunity, particularly to the Asian and sort of Middle Eastern countries. And um, they, uh, SARS-CoV-2 may have been uh, an attempt to sort of cover up a previous lab origin, maybe. That, again, that's one hypothesis. It's a good one. Um, I wouldn't, uh, I'm not going to dismiss it out of hand, but there were some key individuals floating around China at this, at the point of the outbreak, which I think was earlier, well, we know it was earlier than the official Chinese, um, dates. And <laughs> as far as I remember, um, Callahan was able to uh, waltz into China and then waltz out with um, thousands of blood samples, if I'm remembering correctly. And, you know, where's Callahan now? What's he doing? <laughs> right. But when I got this call, as I usually do, uh, I made a threat assessment. And I said, what's it going to take to build a vaccine? What's the timeline? What's the timeline for new drugs? What's the timeline for repurposed drugs? And I threw myself into identifying with my team, identifying repurposed drugs uh, back in January of 2020. 
And uh, once again, that's a whole area, that's a block of time that I really can't disclose what happened. Okay, I was working as a government contractor for a Defense Threat Reduction Agency. Um, there was a period of time when we were interacting closely with uh, Johnson & Johnson because of some of the drugs that we've identified and we wanted to move forward clinically. Uh, I was working um, under contract for Lidos. I worked for a long time on a big contract that I helped facilitate getting the money for uh, that we ran through uh, MIT and Lincoln Lab. And this is all you know, semi-classified government space. I'm not at liberty to discuss what I did then and what we did. If I had been able to, and you can... Yes. <laughs> there I've got an issue. He's not at liberty to discuss being involved in programs that I would wager have a lot of overlap with the... Well, at least the medical countermeasures that we're seeing, and and very very likely the uh, the research programs that were part of the DoD strategy of create pathogen, create countermeasure. And it's yeah, it's you know, it's, is he going to bring up the potential lab origin? I don't know. I don't. I, I very rarely hear. I don't think I've ever really heard him speak about that. Um, it's always, it's always the focus around mRNA. You can see the artifacts in some of the publications, both published and, and submitted to servers, preprint servers, but we could never get published, like the interaction of celecoxib and famotidine, or the interaction of celecoxib, famotidine, and ivermectin that we tried to get through the FDA to do clinical trials on. None of that stuff is really transparent to the average person. So there's this block of time where I was working my can off, you know, seven days a week, trying to advance repurpose drugs. Uh, and then this kind of cascade of events happens that, uh, I get to the point. So, you know, here's, here's something that Mark has made um, many a point of, which is the, the work of Malone in the look or, or searching to repurpose drugs was that or, or did that pave the way for rolling out the new therapeutics, the new medical countermeasures that the DOD pharma construct were itching to field trial. Now, it, you, listening to his language there, it kind of sounds like that they did find some therapeutic benefit for these repurposed drugs, but they... He, he, it, it sounds like he was blocked at the FDA level. So, you know, do we have to reassess the hypothesis that he, his work was deliberate in uh, and calculated to allow for the, the rollout of mRNA technology onto the wider populace. I don't know. Um, I, I wish um, Mark was here to sort of um, bring up all his uh, evidence to the to the table as well. So, um, <sighs> stepping out, for sure, this component of his life 
is sketchy, right? And the fact that he will not whistleblow aspects of it, he just says he's not at liberty to talk about it, leaves me somewhat uncomfortable in the current circumstances. Duisburg too. I don't know. I mean, he's, he's not he's not diminishing the the pathogen itself. He's talking about the important role for um, well understood pharmaceuticals being repurposed, etc. Tomorrow, let's replay it. I'll join. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to do that, Mark. Um, so let's. We'll, we'll. I'll do this stream, and we'll go through what it is that we're saying. We're not even halfway through yet, but there's been some, again, very, in in my mind, and again, I, I'll freely admit that beyond his call for not using mRNA in children, I haven't I hadn't paid him much attention. And you know now, 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 all of a sudden, his the argument that he's bringing forward is this one of um, bio warfare, clandestine bio warfare um, programs that have run out of control. And now we're at the mercy of them, and it doesn't—it doesn't just include the biological space. It, it includes what we what we all knew, which is the coming together of government and private um, industries to, in real time, control flows of information. So it's it's a it's a very wide ranging set of. Um, organizations, individuals, companies, government departments that we we have to build a mental picture of. And th that's that's without having to think about other equivalent structures in other countries as well. I don't I don't consider China to be completely blameless in in the current circumstances. Point where I I face a uh, a dilemma. Um, no, Centripede. Um, if if what he was doing has relevance to essentially crimes against humanity, he's it's incumbent upon him to speak up about it. A, a, a non-disclosure agreement doesn't cover <laughs> crimes, and if if he was aware that there were um, Programs, again, geared geared towards the space of develop pathogen, develop countermeasure, and he there he, he had an inkling that there was moves or plans to bring it into the public domain or, or, or use it on the public at large. I would argue that there's he, there's a legal and ethical um, imperative on him to speak about information that he may have. Now he 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 could turn around and say uh, 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 on 
<laughs> God's honor, uh, hand on heart. Nothing I saw in that domain relates to what we're dealing with with SARS-CoV-2. So it wouldn't matter anyway if I have a non-disclosure agreement. There's there's nothing of relevance there. But he hasn't said that. He's relied on the fact that well there there are contractual obligations that prevent him from talking. So yeah, I'm I'm somewhat skeptical right now. Do I uh, break my uh, long-standing strategy that many here in DC use, uh, you know, keep your head down, if they can't see you, they can't shoot you, uh, or do I come out and uh, speak publicly and say this is not right? And of course, uh, the history shows what my decision was, uh, and um, uh, yet now I'm being uh, attacked by many uh, because of this long history of deep connectivity within the government. Uh, um, yeah, the simple fact is, uh, Robert, um, many, many people looking at this and seeing these quasi-government private interactions, military interactions, everyone's become highly suspect of them. So people are going to be suspect. You've, um, you've got to expect uh, people to be um, trying to extract as much information out as possible about what those what those relationships were just my two cents people are inferring that somehow I'm compromised because I have this long history uh, I can assure you and and the viewers I stopped receiving any capital from Lidos I think it was January of last year uh, at the time when I resigned from uh, the active uh, uh, drug development committee uh, and, and disclosed some of the things that were going on there. Uh, and they were pretty insistent that I resign at that time. So uh, the problem with this whole thesis of uh, jacuzzi uh, that's been deployed against so many people of uh, um, we accuse you of being controlled opposition is that it's very difficult to refute this thesis. And uh, um, because as, as a colleague of mine put it, it's akin to a witch trial. Anything that you say is interpreted as confirming that you are in fact a witch. So in terms of this whole thesis of, of how did I get from here to there, um, and uh, as the uh, wonderful woke journalist from the Atlantic Monthly uh, hit me with so long ago uh, before he put out his hit piece, how come you're doing this? You must have some financial angle. You must have some conflict of interest. And my response to him was, no, it was the right thing to do. And, and he just couldn't process that, that, that somebody would do something because it was the right and ethical thing to do as opposed to having some ulterior motive or financial angle or you know conflict of interest. And, and I've been through, I don't know how many cycles now of, of people. What, what about direct orders? Get in there, get control of the narrative stop people and again this is they'll have staged damage control maybe maybe and you know i, I, I say i'd i'd like to I'd, I'd sit down and have a conversation with him um i mean i don't know i don't know if i'd be able to extract uh much more out of him than what what he's saying right now um, and again, I'm I'm in agreement with his assessment of what it is that we're we're dealing with. Now, you can argue as 
as was put in the chat, is he is he going to name names other than the cartoon Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum? Then I, I'm waiting, waiting to hear. People hypothesizing this, that, or the other conflict of interest, uh, but I had the benefit of basically having an open heart, and um, when I get hit with these things, I know in my soul. Uh, that I have been very conscious no, of Nick, potential conflicts um, of interest all the way through this. I've been trained on CO. Non-disclosure agreements and uh, they don't they don't prevent you from reporting illegal activity. If if there was something that was illegal, say something like a planned release to facilitate the um, introduction of mRNA, and he was privy to those conversations. That's not covered by an NDA. And even national security, I would argue, doesn't doesn't cover it. Why? For years and years and years. And I'm very aware of what it is, how insidious it can be. And Jill and I have supported each other, my wife, Dr. Jill Glassbill Malone, uh, in uh, ensuring and talking on a daily basis. Uh, Marie, um, we're very, very conscious of the One Health paradigm, and again, that shout out to Mark for um, bringing that framework to everyone's attention. Um, One Health is the language that's permeating through the WHO documents and the pandemic treaties, and the um, well, it, it's also a, a fundamental component of the green fascist agenda. Um, any anything that's uh, touting One Health has to be looked at with a very very skeptical eye. Um, but thank you, Mary, for bringing it up in the chat. Um, I say, if I'm speaking with Mark tomorrow, um, you're more than welcome to join in. Um, and that the One Health discussion is um, very very fascinating. Uh you know, what about this? What about that? One can take this level of social influence that I now have been given and uh, exploit it to extract uh, wealth in some way. There's a whole lot of different ways you can do it. And we have tried really, really hard to avoid any of those things, knowing that if we did that, there would be blowback. So hence the Substack uh, is all free. We, we made it, Jill and I made a conscious decision when we launched that Substack, after Steve Kirsch had advocated that we did, because we could make so much money, that we would make it all entirely free. Uh, and put the only restriction that if people, uh, that we would restrict comments within the Substack, uh, that comment section, to people that are subscribers, which has the lovely side effect that it keeps most of the trolls out because they don't want to spend five bucks a month. But in terms of the content and the information, which was our intention to get that out, it's all free. And that's because in large part, we have been very, very wary of the trap of, uh, as, as uh, biblical scholars would call it, the trap of mammon, the trap of money that can distort things so readily. Uh, and and um, <laughs> I'm on board with that as well. Uh, be wary. Uh, just uh, just ask uh, Andrew Tate what happens when uh, you get all prideful and boastful and worship Mammon. Uh, <laughs> uh, God disapproves. Having been in the consulting business for decades, 
I'm very aware that um, the influence of a client, a major client, paying me on a routine basis will distort how I view the world. I'm human, as are we all. Jill and I have tried super, super hard to, um, to maintain a stance that um, protects us from the pressures that would cause us to bias our um, opinions uh, and our actions. That said, we, we have a bias. Our bias is to um, the truth, to data, to facts, um, and trying really hard to avoid um, going into the speculative realms of uh, what is Tony Fauci thinking? I don't know what Tony Fauci's thinking. I can't get into Tony Fauci's head. I don't know what Klaus Schwab is thinking. I don't know what Harari's thinking. I only know what they say and what they write. And we can evaluate those things objectively. And so that's why I've tried so hard to stay on the side of the line of documentable, fact-based information. Uh, and as you know, because you've experienced it consequent here at Epoch Times and NTD News, consequent to some of the things that I've said that were out on the edge, uh, yet still fact-based, but were far from the accepted consensus of the time, that I still took plenty of hits from that, but as did you uh, at Epoch and you personally. But by, by forcing this rigor of not allowing yourself to cross that line and speculate about intent, speculate about somebody's strategy, um, it's allowed both of us to come through this three years um, with our integrity intact, and I think to a significant extent with our reputations intact. So there's so many things to bounce off of here. And you know, there's one specific thing is coming to mind about, uh, of course, in your book, Lies My Government Told Me, which has been kind of an incredible, incredible tome to read. Um, but let's start with this. My first thought is truth-seeking is a very difficult business um, I've come to learn over the last 20 years. And especially when you try to tackle things that are very, very difficult for people to Accept, <laughs> you know, for example, having done some of the original reporting on this murder for organs industry in China back in 2006, so many people just simply won't accept that this as a concept. It took me a while, frankly, to, to grasp the evidence that was presented. I feel like in this space right now, we're kind of faced with these kinds of unbelievable realities. I'm very concerned, in part, that actually, given this fifth-generation warfare 5GW architecture that you've been describing, that this could actually itself be intentional. You don't know what's up, what's down, what's real, what's not. And so the only thing that I know is to try to, to get, the, get at the truth as much as possible um, and hope that that will act as the North Star and that will kind of get us through the other side. Okay, first thought. Second thought, I want to talk about um, your wife, Jill. And this is something a lot of people don't know about, and this comes through in your book that she is actually plays a major role in your, in your writing, in your thought. You, it's a very, very, very close relationship, both personally, but also academically and in terms of your work. Um, there's this moment in the book where it really struck me. This is the thing that actually made you reevaluate a great many things at the beginning. And I want you to tell me about that, because Jill actually had a book that, well, tell me the story. So it goes back to this fateful call that we got in the beginning of January of 2020 uh, with Michael Callahan saying, uh, you need to get your team spun up. Uh, we have a problem with this novel coronavirus, which at the time had no name. Uh, and in retrospect, none of us can disambiguate whether that was 
a genuine alert or whether it was yet another manipulation. Uh, because the timeline and the involvement of the... Uh, yeah, book, book grift is a big, uh, a big tell. Um, but, you know, I guess you've got to get your thoughts down in a manner that can be accessible to people. And, you know, to be fair to Robert, he, he did put the book out free um, just prior to Christmas. I did download it. I scanned through it. Um, there were articles from other people and um, it didn't didn't strike me as bringing that much uh, that much new information to the to the table any anyone that's sort of following any of this research uh, and the people digging into it so um, there was a little bit about Ukraine labs and Yeah, it's um, it's not worth thirty bucks. <laughs> Put it that way. Intelligence community in the United States, uh, with this uh, novel coronavirus, keeps getting pushed back in time more and more and more. But from our lived experience, Jill and myself, I get this call, and Jill and I talk about what does this mean. I go through this process of threat assessment, and and she says, okay, what I can do uh, in this situation is put together a text, a book, a paperback, and self-publish on Amazon. She was a real fan of Amazon self-publishing. She likes to read the self-published uh, novels and things like that. It's, she's an avid reader and uh, very much the uh, intellectual uh, wonky woman uh, that seems to have come to fore in so many ways during the last three years. I think one of the key stories that's, that's not readily discussed is um, these the voice of these intellectual women leaders coming to fore, like Whitney Webb, Mary Harrington, my wife, and many others that, that are voices that we haven't heard before, maybe because they've been drowned out by others that are more endorsed, the blue check crowd, let's say. And she says, okay, the one thing I can do is I can write. Well, uh, I beg to disagree about uh, Whitney Webb. She's, she gets lots of coverage and um, um Again, there's a selectivity to the information that she will discuss about, but that's a stream for another day. And self-published on Amazon, a paperback that would speak to the people, the kind of people that we have in our lives, uh, the folks at the feed store, uh, the 18-year-old that helps take care of our horses, friends and family, average people. Um, and alert them to the meaning underlying what has just been disclosed to us by Callahan. And so she gets going on building up, it turns out a little over 100 pages, uh, highly referenced uh, academic type work, but uh, written um, for, uh, for the com layperson. common people. Yeah, yeah. written for the layperson uh, to uh, help them to prepare and protect themselves from the novel coronavirus, which doesn't yet even have a name. And. Uh, she works her can off. We're both sitting there on opposite couches. I'm working on the computational stuff on my laptop. She's working on the book. I edit her stuff. Um, I write a chapter for it about the virus, et cetera. Uh, and she just busts her can and gets it out in the first week in February, which some detractors cite as evidence that I'm deep state because I must have known about this months and months before in order to put out a book in uh, first week in February. But the fact is, as the world now knows, she's a prolific writer. And she did this thing. 
and her intention was by doing it as an ebook in particular she would have the option we would have the option of updating it every few weeks as more information comes out so that the ebook subscriber could buy the one version once again we weren't doing this to make money uh, and um, she puts it out and she goes through revision one two revision three in March and suddenly she can't uh, get revision three to go live and she's like what's going on I don't understand it uh, and uh, so she writes to Amazon again and again and again, what's, what's happening here? Finally, they come back and they say, well, um, uh, we, can't, we can't publish this. We're going to take it down. Um, uh, and their policy has always been that if they do that, if you're slandering somebody or using inappropriate language or publishing porn or whatever the thing is, whatever the offense is, they will tell you what it is and you can then modify your book and they'll allow it. To, that's always been their policy. They won't tell us what's going on. And then finally, um, we get a message that has these words that we've all come to know and love. We have violated community standards. Yeah. And yet there's nothing in the Amazon community standards for publication that has anything to do with COVID or viruses or anything, anything that we've said. And people have gone over that book, which is now dated, you know, because it was written before Trump officially, in theory, even knew what was going on. Um, I, I'm, it's hard for me to believe that to be the case, but that's the party line, is the government didn't really wake up until March. And suddenly this thing that she has thrown her heart and soul into uh, has been deleted uh, for violating community standards with no appeal and no opportunity to rectify anything and no details. Uh, and she's heartbroken. I mean, think about if you spent a month breaking your back, um, writing a highly detailed 100-page document, um, just to help people and then suddenly you're told um, you cannot publish this it cannot be in circulation nobody can obtain this uh, um, think about the psychological impact this is her first book and so she digs in and uh, documents this uh, trail of publication in the New York Times the Washington Post and others about the uh, collusion I think it's the best word between uh, the World Health Organization, Amazon, uh, the social media giants, and the White House. Uh, and of course, this is all in Trump time, as Peter Navarro would put it. Uh, um, all of these relationships were established then. And what we now know, I didn't know then. Uh, I was as uh, influenced by the CCP propaganda as anyone. I believed the people dying in the streets and all of that, the rapid build of the hospital, all that propaganda that got pushed into the US government to justify the China solution that they then employed in all of us. It was really hard to come to terms with the fact that this had all been deployed and then we learned that it had all been anticipated during Event 201. This was pre-planned. Uh, this whole propaganda censorship uh, really, I don't know how else to say it, information warfare, psychological... Again, I, I'm not going to disagree with him on this particular point. I'm not sure we needed the um, sub-story about his wife at <laughs> this particular point. Could have condensed that to uh, a minute or so. But... ...operation strategy that we've all been subjected to for the last three years. And Jill, at the, you know, in the frame of when this happened, was able to grab these stories that had been uh, posted in these various organs that we now call corporate media or state-controlled media, like the Washington Post and um, the New York Times, that clearly demonstrated that uh, this was highly coordinated and what we had just experienced was at the absolute front end, the tip of the spear, or as they like to say, the bleeding edge, 
of uh, tip of the spear of the events and the strategy Edge that of the be deployed against the entire world in a harmonized fashion. We have all been subjected over the last three years to military-grade psychological operations. Agree. That we're using technology developed for offshore conflicts, um, and they have been deployed against the citizens of virtually the entire Western world. And uh, as Epoch Times is exquisitely sensitive to, these are the technologies and strategies that are central to the ability of the Chinese Communist Party to maintain control in, in its information battle space. And we've now had this deployed against us. We're now seeing the documentation um, on a daily basis released to us by Twitter of uh, this intense collusion between the U.S. government, tech, and uh, corporate media. But uh, for sure, the first kind of radicalization event for Jill and I in our um, stepwise progression of becoming increasingly disenchanted with the government and what was being done to the citizens and, and increasingly attuned to the fact that they are breaching um, uh, guardrail after guardrail uh, in terms of ethics uh, and the norms of uh, drug development, bioethics, biodefense, pharmaceutical development, uh, all of that has been disregarded in a rush to advance a technology platform that just serendipitously happens to be the one that I played this key role in back in 1989, but has now been perceived uh, as supporting multiple agendas, uh, including um, convincing a skeptical population that historically has been very wary of uh, genetically modified organisms to allow themselves to become genetically modified organisms. I mean, in a way. Yeah, so Mark raises a good point, and that was just running through my head at the moment, which is that the framing of the problem from Robert Malone's perspective is it's all, it all seems to be China. China, China, China. And Where's the um, where's all the juicy details about Ditra and Bada and DARPA and all these all these other organisations that we know had a critical role um, in not not just this uh, pandemic but you know the the, the One Health agenda. Um, he's again he seems to be skirting some issues but maybe you know if you if we were to sit down with him and ask him questions about those specific issues maybe he would give us um detailed answers maybe maybe it's the interviewer's fault here and that the interviewer not not being aware of of all these details that that we are so oh, there's still 20 odd minutes 30 minutes to go maybe he's gonna bring it up you have to admire uh, the technical prowess that has been on display in a global way uh, in uh, this deployment. Is it 10 billion or 13 billion in the United States alone that was employed in this, uh, what else can you call it, PSYOPs campaign to get people to accept um, uh, products which are neither safe nor effective and uh, which have not met traditional standards, are not licensed, fully licensed. They're available under this special clause of emergency use authorization. And yet, um, 
the government felt uh, that it was acceptable uh, to deploy uh, these military-grade technologies against all of us to coerce, compel, and mandate that we accept an unlicensed product that turns out to not be safe nor effective. You can sort of imagine something like this happening, you know, on a national scale. But it's very hard to imagine, I think for a lot of people, something like this happening on this global scale. Everybody speaking with, with the same talking points, the same vision. And um, oblivious, and this is, the, this is the hard, the really difficult part, to the, to the many, many questions uh, around whether it's the lockdown policy early on or the, the genetic vaccines and you know, the harms associated with them. It can be hard to fathom. Can I respond to that? Because I want to loop back to something you said earlier in your history, your personal story. And, and no mention of uh, origins and uh, the programs behind its emergence. Having to do with your difficulty in coming to grips with the how else do we call it, fundamental evil of organ harvesting in the CCP and the meaning of that. Um, I think as I've tried to wrestle with this and with people's um, reflexive revulsion and unwillingness to even allow these discordant thoughts uh, to come into their mind, the possibility that these things might be happening in this way, whether it's organ harvesting or it's the darkness of no mention of remdesivir. What appears to be yep. the emergence of a, a pharmaceutical corporatist uh, global centralized state. Uh, um, I think it is a testimony to people's intrinsic goodness. It demonstrates that most people really believe in these fundamental ethics that we could call Judeo-Christian, or there's a number of other words that we could use around this, but the belief system that there actually is right and wrong that there are ways that civilized people should behave. And to confront the possibility of something so evil where people are willing, government officials, or some, who is the puppet master? I have no idea. Or is this just a swarm emergent phenomena? I just can't, I can't, I, I don't have enough data to disambiguate that. But I do know that, that the, this reflexive reaction of people like yourself, um, in which you, it's hard for you to even grapple with the possibility of such darkness as a globally coordinated propaganda campaign, harmonized, that involved, just as one example, as I just learned from my trip to Austria that I just came back with from yesterday, that involved um, massive amounts of capital being deployed to essentially buy off artist influencers across the world in a harmonized, simultaneous fashion. That, you know, my friends in Vienna, when I was there, were complaining all of the musicians and the artists uh, and influencers in the arts in Vienna, one of the world's capitals of the arts, were functionally all bought off. They all received money at the outset in order to compel them, coerce them, whatever language we want to use, to endorse these encourage products. Encourage them. Encourage them. Encourage whatever, whatever you, the, <laughs> the, the language. Mm -hmm. and, and this is another point I want to make. Language really matters as Orwell so clearly pointed out in his writing. Agreed. And we have, not only have we been subjected to this barrage of coordinated propaganda, we've been subjected to a barrage of intentional manipulation of our very language to support this initiative and this agenda. Uh, how do we recover from this? How do we recover our innocence? How do we move to a world in which we can trust one another, in an environment in which 
every single person. How about how about being fully transparent about the nature of uh, some of the work in these DOD programs? <laughs> maybe maybe uh, had a hand in pushing us into the uh, the current state that we find ourselves. That would that would be my uh, interjection there. But, yeah. Needs to second think whether or not this person or that person is controlled opposition. Where there's always that doubt placed into your mind. Where you have to approach every transaction with a modicum of suspicion. How can we form community? How can we form trust? Because in my experience, with you know decades with clients, um, uh, you have to give trust in order to get trust. People will not trust you if you don't trust them. It's a reciprocal relationship. It's very subtle in human interactions. And if we're now forced into this environment by these chaos agents, let's call them, these, these entities that are exploiting um, this psychological information warfare battlefield towards whatever their objectives are, and I don't think either of us really know what the endpoint is. Um, I'm just going to comment, and this is like there's domestic actors, there's foreign actors, it's just this whole miasma, and they're not all necessarily on the same page. So it's very difficult to see through it in particular. Again, that's uh, that's a point that we raised earlier today. Um, you know, <laughs> starting to get a bit disturbed that there's so much uh, overlap between um, my my thesis and uh, and his. You know, <laughs> is it is it a way of nipping in the bud uh, this direction of investigation? Oh yeah, there was some. Some DOD component to it, some Ditra component, but yeah, it's not all bad. Um, yeah, I just the, the the I'm I'm cognitively stuck on his um, evasion by hiding behind uh, so-called contractual obligations. Um, I want him to say there was nothing that I saw in that environment which was uh, which which would require me to breach the, those NDAs, and I, I haven't heard him say anything like that. So um, I'm I'm still skeptical. Right. And some of it is emergent. Mm -hmm. uh, there's in in the in the in the environment of modern social media in that battlefield landscape because that's really what it is. Um, in my opinion, I think it's the best metaphor to think about it, is it is a battlefield, and your mind is the territory that's being fought over. Um, all of the psychopathology that exists in the human species comes out. It's all there. It's all raw. People's uh, all kinds of agendas having to do with their own insecurities, their own desires. So, uh, Epi, he did mention that his clients were... Um, were DOD and uh, Navy and uh, military, branches of the military. Um, he said he was forced into that space because of the issues he had in the academic environment. And it sounds like Salk Institute um, was a, a, a rough experience for him. But uh, again, when he's he's involved in this um how how would you call it the, the well i call it existentially dangerous 
process of make make the pathogen then make the countermeasure so what what ha what have they been doing and what have they tested and um once that pathogen has been created i would argue that there's always a temptation to use it and i don't know at the maybe maybe callahan was a maybe he was a spreader i don't know um there's a there's a lot of uh what should we say ambiguity going i can't disambiguate it for power and influence uh their need for independent validation uh all of these come out and interact in a very complex way with these other forcing functions these other agendas that are being pushed into the social environment and it's very very difficult to disambiguate uh, yeah. intentional from emergent phenomena um, and from just normal human uh, dysfunctional interactions, you know, bullying and all these behaviors that we all know from our schoolyard days. They're all there on display on a daily basis in this amazing stream of human interactions that we call social media. And they all interact to, to as Mary Harrington, I think in her lovely unheard essays, she speaks of this uh, swarm uh, emergent phenomena of consensus uh, that Twitter has been so good at enabling and crafting and shaping. Uh, but um, that's, that's our new world, and it's different. And there's something particularly disturbing that Mary Harrington notes when talking about this swarmism, so to speak, and it's that there's no locus of responsibility. It's diffuse. And like, so, okay, and I, and I believe it. I'm even getting shivers up my spine as I say this right now. But, that fundamentally turns our whole way of dealing with responsibility, accountability on its head. Completely. And it's, it's a very DC thing, as I pointed out in that one essay where I speak about this. Um, uh, um, it's long been the practice here in DC to set up an uh, elite commission on fill in the blank, right? So if you've got a problem, you set up a commission, um, the members uh, come up with their own assessment and their own recommendations and they file some study report that people ignore or whatever. And then the decision makers can say, oh, well, we gave it to this commission. And the commission can say, well, this was a consensus opinion. No one of us uh, is really responsible for this. You know, you can't hold anybody on that commission accountable. You can't hold the people that commissioned the commission accountable. It is the perfect kabuki strategy and it has absolutely been uh, refined to a fine uh, edge. Uh, here in uh, the Imperial Capital. So I want to reference your book a little bit here. Um, and you know, you Thank talk, you. <laughs> no, uh, my pleasure. It's quite the tome. It includes um, a series of essays by, you know, a number of them have been on the American Thought Leaders Program here with me on various topics. You divide it into three parts. You start with, you know, what is the... Uh, I use the metaphor of how a physician approaches a patient. Um, yeah, the, yeah, first, yeah. the first thing is to take the history and physical which is what I try to give the reader is a kind of a, a front line, a front row seat in experiencing vicariously what some of the people out on the front edge have experienced. So Timber Mashivas raises a good point here, which is Robert Malone constantly makes allusions to chaos agents working around him and working within these institutes. He, he's vague about who those chaos agents are and you know I 
what it's it's worried he's going to get slapped with a 25 million dollar lawsuit if he mentioned someone can we not under, can, can he not mention the agencies at least instead of the individuals that would be something um and and again this there's a lack of critical information about the scope of the programs he was involved in i think and i'm 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 not I'm not sold that the NDA get out clause really works here. Um, but yeah, good good point. Uh, Pierre Corey being a great example. Paul Merritt. Uh, then the middle part is sense making, and in, in the physician metaphor, that's akin to the diagnosis. How do we make sense out of what's happened here? And the book is a real-time journey. I, we, Jill and I could not have written this if we just sat down to write it right now. Um, because we use this process of serialization using the Substack tool, each of these chapters derives from kind of a real-time assessment of events that were occurring. And it benefits in that because a lot of the citations are increasingly getting memory hold. They're hard to find. One of the things we're talking about with the publisher is to grab all those citations and put them on a website that's going to be protected so they can't be memory hold and, and deleted. Then the third part is this uh, better future coming. Basically, in the metaphor... Mark says this must be like what it is. <laughs> Dear one's rapist leading a movement to protect women's safety. <laughs> that's brutal, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Just for of a physician treating a patient uh, the patient in this case being the entire western world um, uh, what can we do about it what is the treatment plan now that we take this journey of seeing this is what people have experienced this is sense making about what the heck happened that led to those experiences and then the third part, what do we do about it? That's the treatment. Mm -hmm. And that was the hardest of all to write. You know, what is this better future? And you're, you know, you describe your purpose as kind of, you want to sort of just open up people's Overton window. And I thought that was quite, quite a good way of explaining because it's not, um, you know, my, my experience here going through these last three plus years, there's been many moments where I've been forced to challenge my assumptions about a whole series of things yeah. and just really honestly look at the data, the information. And I, being inherently a very skeptical person, right, I can say it was, it, it's been actually a very typical journey in a lot of ways. Yeah. So when you look at these things, you don't need to accept them wholesale, right? True. Yeah. Don't accept what I'm saying as truth. I don't want to be the leader. Um, that is not my goal. I believe that the best gift I could give to the world at this point in time as I'm starting to age out at the end of my career, as is Jill, the best gift that we could give to the world is to open people's eyes and to help them learn how to find information and how to interpret information themselves. If I can help uh, people, we, I think this is a shared mission with Epoch Times, if we can help people to get access to information and learn to make their own interpretation and decisions. I think this is our best tool to counter, um, I'll just say it, totalitarian propaganda that's coming at us from every direction. Why don't you give me a bit of a flavor of what is in this third section, something that you think is particularly important? 
So uh, there's the um, sections that have to do with the technical side of our U.S. government. This is the role of the administrative state, or uh, in the role of what Steve Bannon once again has given us a good word metaphor, uh, the role of the Praetorian Guard. Uh, his metaphor for the intelligence community uh, that acts to protect the interests of the administrative state and the, let's say, established political elite here in the United States and very much operates in a similar way in the European Union in Brussels, as I've learned uh, over the last three years of travel. Um, and uh, what allows that, what in part significantly enables it, is um, what many consider to be an abrogation of authority by the legislature in the United States. We're supposed to have three co-equal branches, and they each have segregated duties. And uh, um, one of the key sections uh, discusses some very uh, tangible actions that could be taken by a new administration that was committed to returning the American uh, experiment back to uh, something more akin to the original vision as opposed to this expansionist federalist uh, monster that's been created that is basically consuming the world. So this has to do with things like the legal underpinning that enables the existence of this permanent cadre that we call this. And, um, you know, I want to give props where, he's, where it's due, and I, I agree with his description there. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's not all China. He's looking... Well, I'd like him to name more of these institutes, but maybe that's maybe that's just asking too much for a, a chit chat for epoch times, which is geared towards the general public. You know, may, maybe we're being too harsh of a critic here. So, you know, up up to this point, there's ten minutes left. Um, I've agreed quite strongly with a lot of his descriptions of the problem that we're facing. Um, funny enough, uh, <laughs> I just got an email from Robert Malone, his Substack. <laughs> just uh, the, but yeah, there's this, there's this nagging doubt in my mind about who he really is and what what environment has he come from and how much how much is some damage control because the the solution he's providing is it, which is oh we have to we have to reform the the legislature well okay every everyone always talks about that um no no specific court cases that he wants to get into to try to um, get discovery or, um, or or bring charges. He's not, um, well, not that he's not, but I'm, I'm sure he could be in a position to act as, a, 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 as an expert witness, um, specifically about the scale and scope of, of these programs. And yeah, that's, it's lacking, but then maybe maybe I'm being too uh, too critical right now. The senior executive service, these thousands of people that cannot be fired, that functionally run the government, and uh, whatever you think of Mr. Trump, and there's obviously a diversity of opinion on this, and I don't want to get into it, 
uh, I, per, part of my personal journey has been to come from that place of a stereotype version of Mr. Trump that was promoted in corporate media that I bought, just like so many others did, to realizing that, that a lot of that was propaganda plan. and <laughs> that a lot of things that were done during that administration were dead on. And one of those is Schedule F, uh, this, this very clever uh, effort to administratively reassign the employment classification of all these federal workers that surround us here in D.C. and the Beltway and throughout the country. In fact, the most influential ones is the ones that it, that it inadvertently targeted. It was a very interesting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, no surprise that this was the thing that uh, he managed to finally get through all of the court obstacles that are thrown at anybody that tries to change um, employment law having to do with uh, these key federal employees. Uh, and um, Schedule F finally overcame the last legal hurdles, um, and then the election happened, and the very first action that Mr. Biden took was to rescind uh, the executive order about Schedule F, which I take as example of uh, how powerful uh, these entrenched administrative state interests are. So there's a bunch of technical things about the revolving door, about the problems with uh, all of these federal agencies that have dual mandates, for instance. So. Uh, you know, to take it out of the context of COVID, remember the uh, 737 MAX? Okay, that turns out to be a great example of administrative capture by Boeing of the FAA. We have abundant examples of capture of the USDA by Monsanto. I mean, the, the head of the USDA for years has had close ties with Monsanto. Um, all of these federal agencies that have dual purpose, they both regulate the industry and they promote the industry. Yeah, we at some have point to again, that that cannot continue. It's at the root of the corruption. Now, my colleague Peter McCullough likes to point out the FDA, under emergency use authorization, acts as both the sponsor and the regulator of these medical products. Okay, that that can't happen. That is, in anybody that has had accounting one A knows that that's wrong, okay? You have to separate those kinds of functions or you get corruption. It will happen. Humans are humans. They behave in certain ways in response particularly to money. Um, and uh, the, the corruption of the FDA and the CDC is at such a stage now that I think it is so self-evident that only the most hypnotized deny it. So there's, there's that kind of technical stuff about the administrative state and what can we do about it. I put it there because we need to have discrete action items that could be taken up by another administration. That was the intention. Do I think that that's going to resolve the problem? I'm afraid that the loss of integrity throughout our government is so deep and profound, and we see it on a daily basis. We see Great. it with, I'm sorry to pick on him, but Dr. Fauci is a skilled liar, as is typical of people that have been through the training in our intelligence community. Um, it's interesting that, that Tony Fauci is just to digress slightly. Tony Fauci's appointed new, uh, um, a stand-in uh, during this time where he's resigned uh, has all the hallmarks of intelligence community. He has worked in the biodefense sector and stood on all the main committees as Tony's right hand for well over a decade. He is deeply embedded in uh, the intelligence community and the biodefense enterprise. And you know, I, another thing that I speak about is uh, ARPA-H, this new uh, division of NIH that is modeled after DARPA, the functionally the developmental arm of the CIA. That's what DARPA is, right? They created the SR-71 spy plane and they created the internet, um, among other, many other things. Um, uh, we now have an entity uh, 
of similar structure, led by a former DARPA program officer now, uh, that um, has a line item budget for the first year of $1 billion with no detail for what appears to be advancement of transhumanism and uh, biometric identification and all of that agenda within NIH. It's basically the intelligence community moving in within NIH. So we talk about this. Again, um, I'm nodding in agreement here. So, um, yeah, all people can't be all things, I guess. And, you know, if he's reaching a million people a day with this type of outlook, ah, okay, I'll, I'll take it. Um, I still, I've still got questions. <laughs> um, but we also talk about uh, the better future that people can enable on a personal level. Uh, and uh, one example that I love is uh, this group in Italy called Apocrity, uh, which is the Italian spelling for Hippocrates, uh, that have now created their own medical school. They are running into all kinds of obstacles to enable their intentional community network of uh, alternative medical care and, and physician training programs and public training programs. But I think that they really offer some hope and some vision there. We also talk about uh, basically victory gardens, empowering people in this landscape in which we are globally facing major risks of uh, food shortages. And uh, this has been a, a theme of Jill and I for many years. Oh, uh, Rob's watching my streams. <laughs> and look, I, I'm, this is my, I don't know, my gut is telling me that that's that's their next card that they're going to play. And um, the the disease element, I think I think they might have pushed the envelope somewhat. And so the, the, the next step for compliance is hope, hope that the chronic illnesses that you've managed to induce in the population, the damage to population scale and individual immunity is enough to push towards these uh, digital ID programs. And that's that's concerning that ARPA-H has been given a no-strings-attached billion-dollar budget to investigate any and all methods to collate and aggregate individuals into a database that's rapidly searchable, um, probably through multiple um, metrics, whether it be from a, a fingerprint to a genetic sample to a, a photo ID that can be recognized by face cameras. And this, that type of system already exists. It exists in the UK. In the UK, if you get arrested, even if you're not charged, you are required to give a DNA sample. So they'll swab the inside of your cheek and it, it, it goes away and it gets catalogued. And, you know, they're pulling out and charging for historical crimes with that data. Um, it seems to me that we're going to get the, the next iteration of that. We've seen the, the statements made by Netanyahu that, again, they're looking for this big data, the overlap between genes and the the intervention they make and then the the knock-on consequences because of the 
um, the intended therapeutic effect and always the side effects that occur with it. Um, you know, it's it's difficult for me to disagree with any any of this that he's saying. There's just there's just weaknesses that I see, and and again, that comes back to his background, which he's tried to explain. <clears throat> there's um, there's little discussion about the synthetic nature of um, SARS itself. Um, maybe someone can point me to a substack where he's wrote about that. Um, but, you know, the... The, the scope of his argument in terms of the potential threats that we're facing, I'm, I'm agreeing with. And uh, it was part of the original book that she put out. Actually, that chapter is, is derived from the chapter that was in that original book of uh, how, how effective um, Victory Gardens were during World War II. They produced a huge amount of food. Uh, they set up Victory Gardens in Central Park in Manhattan. Can you imagine that now? But they did. Uh, they were enormously productive. And, uh, and it's something that people can do themselves uh, to change their own trajectory and to enable them to be uh, more autonomous, to maintain personal sovereignty. Um, so the, the last part is this kind of mix of uh, technical things that need to be fixed within the government. Uh, and can we fix them? I don't know. Through uh, very pragmatic things about um, how to enable a decentralized uh, future for all of us, as opposed to this very dark fourth industrial revolution, transhumanism, uh, central command economy uh, world that um, these transnational organizations and really globalist organizations like the World Health Organization, United Nations, et cetera, seem to be so actively, to use their own words, shaping for us. Uh, and this gets to the carbon credits and all those things. Uh, you know, we, we don't have to live in their world. And I think that our opportunity now is to help build a vision and a way of interacting that can better capture the, the potential of humanity um, in a decentralized way that celebrates our diversity without needing to try to enforce um, some centralized diktat of, of how we are to live our lives. Um, and I think that's the opportunity with a persuadable middle. Let's, let's all take a little time to think about what the world we would like to live in looks like. And that's kind of the other part of that last section of the book, is trying to lay out how do we start to get there. And I want to say clearly and explicitly, I don't know the answer. I think I can help contribute um, some ideas about process, but I'm really wary of people who think they know the answer and want to tell us what it is. Um, I've come to really mistrust those people. We can all agree that uh, this enabling better future of decentralization where we all have our own little version of an Amish community and we're all matrixed together, um, and let's create a think tank to figure out how to do that, which loops us right back into the same problems that we currently have. The pro how do you envision a future that has never existed? How do you envision a way of organizing humanity that's different 
from anything that's been tried before because what keeps coming back at us is a 19th and 20th century version of somebody's utopia, whether it's Marxist or whatever. And, and I'm sorry, that's yesterday. How do we get to 21st and 22nd century thinking about uh, how to organize ourselves in a world of uh, these vast social networks and virtual interactions uh, that have all kinds of emergent properties? I don't know, and I don't think any of us know, but I think it's a journey we're taking. No, absolutely, and this is a journey we'll, we'll be taking together. Um, Dr. Ross. All right, so uh, again, just to uh, summarize there, uh, the beginning part, I was agreeing with the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the human touch story about the wife. Ah, you know, that was boring for me. Um, the, I, I just want to know what he knows about these programs. And what, what I would really be, like to be asking him is, where were the ethics boards around this type of research and what what was facilitating it to to the point where it required hundreds of millions of dollars to be poured in um for pathogens of interest pathogens of interest that uh, uh, seem geared or or are being teed up for genetic manipulation and i, I don't know, Maybe I'm just being naive and thinking that he would um, spill the beans about all the all these programs. Um, the solutions again, you know, it's very much the vernacular that I use, which is I d I don't know how to get through this, but I do think that the idea of community and sort of independence I, I i don't think you can physically deconstruct that system even with even with the best court cases etc it will trundle on and you have to get chameleon like to um live amongst it but not part of it um and so yeah you know <sighs> Well, we'll uh, I'll have a discussion with Mark later, and we can sort of review the the interview again. Um, but it's for it's for me. It's falling into he's firing in the right direction right now. So um, you know, we could maybe tune up his dialogue with respect to you know the nitty gritty details and the the synthetic nature i would i would like to pick his brain about how they envisioned using these or, or these technologies and you know i i have a pretty good idea i think of what their what their aim is which is to sample massively from various environments and be able to well, one is one is what they always put on their sales pitch: protect a warfighter um, from 
you know, local pathogens. We don't we don't want to put our special forces in there and they all get struck down with uh, what are we talking about yellow fever. Uh, I'm I'm interested in how much of a possibility is it that the surveillance and the taking of samples is a way to um, inject into the environment a pathogen that acts in the context of incapacitating agents and they have they have a means to protect their personnel that are going in and if if it's true that they've been doing that type of research that means that they've been engaged in offensive biological warfare and in my mind that's a that's a complete breach of uh, any of the conventions that we we have in place so beyond that i don't know I, i'm not sure i can add much more and it's quarter past four in the morning um and yeah fauci's wife is the his ethics and you know <laughs> they, they've got everything or they had everything stitched up really tight for sure and you know that's just that's evident in just how quiet the scientists have been globally how efficient they were at building up you know the talking heads uh <laughs> paperclip angie fat angie uh all all these issues are are important um like i said i don't want to let them go but as as he mentioned, like I mentioned, there's other other cards that they're going to play, and I think that they're going to be played very very quickly in in the current environment. So, you know, um, forewarned is forearmed, and you we continue to tread carefully forward into the challenges that may be in front of us. Uh, but yeah, you know, I wish I wish there was more, and I didn't see it in the book. Maybe maybe I have to do more than sort of scan the the book. But um, yeah, the nature the nature of these programs and the like I say the ethical framework. If, like I say, if if they were looking to modify ticks for example as a loiter weapon in a particular as a, as a sort of form of area uh, area denial um pathogens that are generally quick acting incapacitating and but there's a, a degree of recovery and they've got the antibodies ready that they can iv line into their um operatives and all, all these things are questions that i have in my mind and if if it's true again if that's if that's what they were doing that i think that needs to be brought into the open i don't think that would be covered by um because it would be certainly illegal in terms of uh treaty law and we need to know if that's what they were doing so um beyond that i don't think i have any more to add um they did lots of yeah i know they did lots of tick research in ukraine and um crimean congo uh hemorrhagic fever and 
but it's it's not just it's not just the viruses it's you know the lyme type diseases as well and you know we we know we know what these we have a good idea what these programs were doing it would just be nice to get sort of confirmation um from someone that was working in that environment that that would be my take home and um china's Pfizer pharmaceuticals Pfizer and biontech entered into agreement for the co-development remember that gates met with g back in 2013 yeah and again i don't have i'm not going to argue about the, these individuals colluding over a, a long period of time and you know the, there was a point of discussion earlier where um, mark made the point that some of this feels rushed and i sort of countered that with well you know if you if we took the last 20 years even though we know it goes back much much further but i i think 911 makes a good sort of reference starting point and that's where we see the uh, emergence of the, the the patriot act and the focus on bio warfare um more, and you, you could argue that biowarfare was probably their main concern. And so, what I, I would put good money on that they had programs in place that essentially could be viewed as offensive type capabilities, especially when, especially if you're, let's say, taking a local pathogen, you're able to modify it in such a way that it's got a bit more um, pathogenicity or transmissibility and um, you know the um, dispersal dynamics, you've got a countermeasure and you can, you, or they have this option to deploy such, uh, such weapons, you know, depending on depending on the operation they need to do I, I honestly again i don't know i'm i'm sort of trying to reach out for cogent hypotheses to to wrap up all all these data points and you know it, it's it's nearly there what he's saying just um lacking um lacking some of the details um Jesus says, I'm trying to find the study that showed that Ashkenazi Jews had genetics which made them least susceptible to COVID-19. Um, yeah, I've, I've got those studies. Just DM me if you want. And look, there's a, there's a recent study out which shows that um, corona variants, the susceptibility to ACE2 receptor is reversed. So Ashkenazi become the most susceptible so again, the um, you know the the race component it might just be a fluke of the biology, maybe. Um, I would I would just say this in in the current environment where Israel is not subject to investigation and transparency about their programs when we definitely know that they have the capability and the laboratory infrastructure in place to be engaged in this type of research and there there is this historical tie back to 
Operation Coast in South Africa and, again, the desire for uh, race-selective race, race selective, uh, weaponry. Um, you know, these are, these are all discussions to be had and um, they, should be, they should be brought up without the, uh, without the ADL coming in and saying, oh, that's anti-Semitic. Right, so we have to we have to neuter the, um, the the censorship abilities of those organisations, and you can argue that that's been somewhat achieved in the in the last few months. Maybe a small win, uh, but you know maybe the current environment is about to change. And you know I was talking about Rumble earlier. Rumble is doing great. In terms of being able to stream and get uh, a decent sized number of eyes on the stream as I'm doing it and watching it um, after it's done. But Palantir and Peter Thiel are major investors into Rumble. And Rumble, uh, Palantir is all about automated AI threat detection. Are they just doing a data gathering epi uh, exercise w with with Rumble? I don't know, but it's it's something that you have to keep in mind now in in this current environment. And same same with Twitter and um, e everything else. And so uh, I don't I don't have much more to add to that. And. I'll just um, read the last few questions. Gates gave $5 billion to himself last year, hailed as highest charitable donor. What will his foundation do with $5 billion? That's a lot of contraception and jabs. Um, yeah. Uh, those people live in another universe. And maybe they think of like $5 billion as sort of, I don't know, like us normal people think about... $5,000. Like $5,000 to me is just, <laughs> that's all I have. Right? <laughs> that wouldn't be able to do uh, anything else. And that, that literally is there to roll between expenses um, month to month. <laughs> so this, uh, yeah, they, they just live in a different world, I guess. And the, you know, one of the, one of the things that I would, try to emphasize is is that world is permeated by eugenicists it's permeated by mm, sociopathic slash psychopathic ladder climbing well you could call them sort of high functioning but uh, the, the what is it that they're prepared to do to get up to the next rung on the ladder and you know, there's a, there's enough evidence to to sort of point to that um, degeneracy seems to be uh, or perverse appetites seem to be a significant feature in in that network and environment. <laughs> it is what it is. I say, let it burn. <laughs> Let it burn. All right, so answer that question. Get comfortable with incomplete data. Yes, you have to get comfortable with ambiguity in data sets. Absolutely. Um, you're never, ever going to get the... Um, or, or, or there's always some blurring at, at the boundaries uh, uh, of your data set. 
Um, let's see, Jesus says, it seemed like they were least susceptible and the Eastern Asians the next least, since the Jews obviously were the ones funding the research. To me, it screams they designed this virus in this way. Um, you could argue that hypothesis. I've argued it. Um, it's a possibility. And um, I, again, I would say it's incumbent upon uh, Israel being completely transparent with all their programs. Currently, they're not. And I don't think we can move forward in a world where we potentially just have that gun held to our head. Um, so, you know, but then how to enforce it? Uh, let's see. Narcissists. Narcissists completely lack empathy. Maybe they'll definitely do anything and everything to get ahead. Yeah. Um, there's only one reasonable course of action towards people like this. Yeah, let it burn. All right, uh, I think I'm done. It's 4.30. I'm going to go get some sleep. And uh, I'll try and um, run through that conversation and maybe Mark can pick um, some more holes in. Mark has um, certainly done more um, focused research on Robert Malone. And my current view is, again, that he's firing in the right direction Um can we can we find out more to you know assuage our uh, suspicions so uh, with that um i just like to remind everyone i'm trying very very hard to make sure that uh i'll tax evading blick and uh chris um get some get some cheddar uh this week so any any donos uh today um i'll divvy up for them and i want to say thank you to matt ross uh only christian for the donos today and um there's a, a anonymous one so uh thank you thank you very much for supporting the stream i will be back there's plenty more um data to go through there's a relatively new amyloid paper to take a look at and um yeah we'll keep picking away at these networks so thank you for listening i will see you all in the next one take care god bless bro you don't know how angry i am you do i'm like i was just leaving for fucking work you do not understand how fucking pissed off after reading that little line i will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine fuck these papers i will fucking kill each fucking kappa i swear <laughs> this is not a fucking joke anymore this is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually saying. Fuck these chapters. No fucking vaccine or MRA will ever throw through my fucking blood, man. Never. No. I will fucking die. Fucking fighting for my fucking bees and my fucking forefathers and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers. All them five. This guy. Send 10.45,000 to turn this. Let up! 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 Let